Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Thanks to uh, everyone who's already supporting the podcast coming out weekly by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Willosophy. Uh, that's brilliant. The more uh, contributors and subscribers that we can have there, the more that we have uh, guaranteed episodes coming out weekly, the wonderful work that podcast Mike is doing, booking guests and lining up people and uh, uh, sorting schedules and uh, the brilliant work that Mike Hallow, US producer, does and uh, James Fosdyke, of course, who does the brilliant original art for each of the episodes. We've got so, such a good run of episodes coming up for you. So if you're enjoying them, if you've enjoyed them previously, uh, and you would like to help keep the podcast going, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to do that. If you are hearing it this week uh, on a Wednesday, maybe when it first comes out, there is maybe 10 tickets left for my Darwin show on Saturday night. Uh, it may be sold out by the time that you're hearing that. Uh, but if not, uh, then you can come and see me do that show. Um, no, no more shows, really. Uh, for the rest of the year, but uh, 2020 is going to be a big one. Got some huge plans for some exciting things to do live in 2020. So um, in the meantime, listen to the podcast. Uh, Gruen, my TV show, of course. Uh, Gruen, if you are in Australia or you're overseas and can watch things (laughs) that are only in Australia from overseas, I know that people can do that. I don't know how to do that personally, but uh, if uh, yeah, Gruen's back very soon. So um, if you like that show, and uh, you would like to support that show, that's coming uh, up with a brand new season, and uh, we're really excited about that as well. But in the meantime, today's episode is with one of my just favorite people in the world, a handful of people that I could name in the world uh, that I just absolutely 100% unadulterated adore, and uh, uh, Faye is definitely one of those people. She is a, a brilliant comedian, a brilliant writer, a brilliant comedian, a brilliant performer. She is a wonderful uh, buyer's agent in the real estate world now. Uh, Lush Real Estate Group uh, is her, or she sells uh, her and uh, Jody J Hill, and you'll hear all about this uh, in this podcast. But both comedians who have gone into the real estate world and trying to do something different in that world. So we talk uh, a lot about comedy. Uh, when I first started out in comedy, and when uh, Faye was doing comedy, uh, some of the brilliant things she did, you know, by herself and with her group Miss Itchy, the first ever winners of. Uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Best Show Award. Uh, But Faye, more than that, is just one of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet in your life. Just uh, an absolute uh, real gift in my life that I've got to know her as a person. Uh, One of the great things that comedy gives you is an incredible amount of brilliant friends. And um, when I get to do this podcast, I get to sometimes introduce you to my friends or you get to hear us talk about the nature of our friendships, but uh, there is no one that I regard more highly than Faye. And so I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, If you are in the real estate world, uh, you're looking for someone to look after you in the real estate world, I do recommend as much as I am allowed to recommend. I recommend as a friend. This is not a paid endorsement or anything, but uh, uh, Faye helped me buy my house and uh, she's the best. She really is the best. So that is what she does uh, for a living now. So yeah. Uh, look her up if you uh, are in need of that sort of advice and help. Uh, Lush Real Estate, uh, she sells. So, um, all right, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode with Faye. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, this is how the podcast starts. I pick at my microphone for a minute. No, that's not, that's not always how the podcast starts, but my little microphone. We're at home today, uh, have been recording these in the uh, relative comfort and security of a radio studio recently. And when I say security, I mean that somebody else is recording it and thus all the variables that come into this when I am left in charge of the recording are now happening. And I've noticed that we've started this uh, we've started this podcast on only two bars out of the three on my recorder. <laughs> so I will have to now for the rest of uh, the podcast occasionally check in to make sure that we're still recording. But however, that is all unnecessary information that my, my little pop shield was wonky. That was going to distract me uh, during the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> done. I think we've, we've settled in. Uh, I've set the scene. Uh, new rug. This is the first time. Good rug. Yeah, I, first time I've recorded with this new rug. So we'll see this in this new rug era how how it goes, how it sounds. Um, sounds great. I should introduce you so that you can start talking. You You've can, started talking anyway. Um, There's you, nothing wrong with that. No, exactly. But who are you? Uh, uh, oh, that's how uh, I, it starts. Okay, I'm Faye Younger. Oh, that's it. There you go. All right. That's I always all you leave asked. a pause just to say, <laughs> yeah, okay. Never reveal more than they've asked Don't for. show them your hand. It's nice to have you here, Faye Younger. <laughs> Thanks, uh, honey. I've known you for 24, 25 years. Yeah. Long time. Primary school. Uh, you were one of the very <laughs> first people who uh, I met when I was uh, entering the world of standing up yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would have been... Gee, I, I mean, literally, you would have been somebody I met within the first, I'm going to say, th first three months of me doing stand-up. Yeah. So I've known you pretty much all my stand-up life. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited to have you here on the podcast today. Oh, thanks. Me too. So um, I, I start by asking people if they have a philosophy. Now, sure. Um, I don't always start by asking it. I always plan to start by asking it. <laughs> And then sometimes I get distracted get and I ask it halfway through. But uh, I'm going to start with it today because you have like such an interesting, like I'm going to turn into Australian Idol or something, journey. That's <laughs> uh, the voice. Oh, yay. We're going to talk about yeah. my journey. We're going to talk about your journey. <gasps> That's Heaven. what today is. <laughs> so I thought it might be good to know what your philosophy is before we get to your journey. My philosophy is always have a journey. Yeah. No. <laughs> You know, I've, I've been really thinking about that, actually, because I've been listening to a few of the back catalogue, um, just getting back into the swing of things. And I think my philosophy is really simple. There's one rule in our house, uh, and that's don't be a dick. And that's pretty much it. I mean, it is... It is pretty much, I mean, it's the golden rule, right? Do unto others. Is don't be dick a little bit, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm not, tell me not why not it so isn't. much about that. Um, I, I think, I check it because I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, uh -huh. uh, two boys, and they're delicious little human beings. Um, they have to be or they can't live inside. That's <laughs> Good, strong, firm rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked, I've it, got to say. It has. They're indoors yeah. most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, the older one is, ugh, you've met him. He's me with a penis. Yes. He's gregarious. He's confident. He's beautiful. Oh, I'm beautiful. Uh, <laughs> he's a very pretty kid. Yeah. Um, but genuinely pretty? Like, yes. I mean, 
one of those kids you look at and you okay. just go, oh, you're, mm. you're quite a beautiful child. Yeah, yeah. He's And I'm sure there's no way those words could be taken out of context in this against me. Now, that special's not for years with you. That's I would the... like to say that I'm not someone who's genuinely in the business of assessing child, children based on their beauty, <laughs> but it is hard with, your, with yours not to just look and go, oh, something, yeah, something went right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that all, that all mixed together up. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's in his name Spike. He's very interesting and um, where – there's no surprises with him. He he just doesn't surprise us. It's like, oh, you, of course you're like that. Yes. There's a reflective surface. Of course you're checking yourself out. You know, he's he's that kind of kid. But he's also really kind and um, we make it a big, you know, there's a sort of a big concerted effort to reinforce that, that that's what the minimum that we expect is you need to be kind to people regardless of whether or not they're dicks to you. Um Okay, that's good. I like that. That's so. That's where it's different to the yeah the golden rule. Yeah, because the golden rule, you know, being the element of you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So based on the proviso of there being some sort of agreement, you yeah. know, like you're, <laughs> you're good to other people and they're good to you. But you're saying like let's extend that out a little. And I'm sure yeah. there's some theologians who'd say that that's implied in what Jesus was banging on about. But uh, <laughs> what you're saying is regardless of whether somebody's a dick to you or not, yeah. you you don't be a dick. No, you can't. No, yeah. don't be a dick. because And don't let the dickiness, dickiness of others rub off on you. Yes, please. Yeah, Because that's totally. hard, right? Yeah. Because if you are a person who's not being a dick mm. and other people are being a dick, sometimes the dicks win. Mm. Right? Sometimes the dicks roll all over the top because <laughs> <laughs> But it's true, right? It's like you I've know, got the, a mental picture that I'm I'm sitting with. You continue yeah, talking. The person the, the person who's the accommodating person, the person who's the nice person, the person who's oh, yeah, not being yeah. a dick often is the it feels man. like in life can become the person that people roll over the top. Absolutely, of. yeah. So you know, we don't stand for that shit either. Mm. But um I, I think while they're little we try to, to sort of explain to them that, you know, the kids that are bullies, the kids that are assholes, the kids that are mean to other kids, they're generally like that because their life is shit. Right. So, oh, doorbell. Um, so <laughs> it's just having that understanding. I think I want them to have a degree of empathy that, that is going to serve them for the rest of their lives. And with Spike, it's a constant sort of checking in and, you know, oh, okay, well, that's because of blah, blah, blah. And he's fine. But the 10-year-old is so deeply empathetic that it's actually, I think it hurts him. So he'll he'll take on the injustice and wear it like it's his own. So, you know, if he can sort of perceive that somebody's being slighted, he takes it really personally and... I mean, he stands up for it and stands up for himself, but it just hurts his little heart. And that's been really tough to sort of um, navigate with him. And the way that we've just recently sort of figured it out with him is he's a little actor. He, both the kids, you know, they're pretty and shiny and are drawn to all the stuff that I love, um, which is performance and comedy and stand-up and stuff, um, which is where Will and I met. Because I was a stand-up too. Um, so, but he's, he's um, 
the little one, Morrison, Mo, is an excellent little actor. I Just intuitively good at it. Well, empathy is a quality that, you know, if you can understand the character that you're yeah. trying to portray, like you genuinely understand them. Yeah. Understand, you know, they, it's the acting cliche, right? What's my motivation in this Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, what yeah. you are actually, what empathy is, is a constant asking of, you know, what, what's my motivation? How can I feel how this person feels? Exactly. Or, uh, if you already do feel how others feel or, you know, take the time to try and understand how other people feel, then mm. then I think you can be a very good actor. Absolutely. And that, that's because his primary school years have been really shit, just shit. Just a bad bunch of – not a bad bunch of kids. They are. They were a bunch of assholes. <laughs> but um, where Spike had this really nice, inclusive – you know, it's just the luck of the draw, the, the kids that he's sort of gone through school with. 90% of them have been, you know, just lovely, genuine, interesting kids, not all of them clearly. Um, but Mo's really not had that and school's been a real battle and he's really bright so he's bored and blah, 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 all those things. So last year we were really struggling with him and, and he was upset about something and I said to him, you know what, you're like this because you feel what other people feel and you don't have to take it all on. Oh, but why am I like this? And I said to him, um, the thing that makes you a good actor is the ability to do that. And that's been a, a real little light bulb for him. So um, this year has been better. Touch leather. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... I... I don't know if that is leather, but... Uh, <laughs> touch leather. Touch, touch something, whatever it is. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's. Int- I, I mean, I don't have any children of my own, as you that know. That you know of, yes. uh, I think that I, I'm, I'm reasonably confident to say that I don't. I think that I would, in the time frame that I could have, I think that I would know by now. That's kind of my broad proviso is that I think that I've been... I've been able to be found for long enough that you would have thought that if... This is true. That some, unless it's one of those ones where I guess... Have I, you noticed how much Spike looks like you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you did say beautiful. Beautiful to the eye. <laughs> um, I, the, the challenge of raising children... Like, and, you know, all the various factors that come into play. And I see it through my brother and my sister, mm. you know, raising their kids. Um, you know, how much that, you, something you touched on, which is just that sometimes the friends they have Ugh. aren't particularly good friends to them, you know. Idiots. And you can control to a certain extent, yeah. you know, how you raise your children yeah. and the environment you put them in. But yeah. sometimes they just get shitty friends. Oh, my God. That and must be hard work. It's really hard work because when they're little, you can yeah. so control who they hang out with and who they don't. And then they, they reach this age where it's like, oh, can, you know, I don't know, yeah. Barnaby come over? It's like, oh, anybody but Barnaby. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And and all you can do is just, you know, again, while they're young, I'm still not in that that area where they're going to start giving me shit back. Good luck with that, boys, by the way. <laughs> and mama doesn't like your chances. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's really shitty to – I mean, other people's kids are assholes. 
nine times out of ten. It's I don't want to be around them. Did you? Uh, are you surprised by? You know, I mean, I've seen the boys together. Yeah, and they. They they get on well. They seem to get on very they do, well. Yeah. They certainly are yeah. when they're around others. They, <laughs> so it's all I know. I haven't, I haven't come around the house. I don't know what's going on at home. But when you parade them out in public, they do a very good job of it. Very charming young men. Like I and said, they they're actors. A, yeah, good, good relationship. They have a little thing going on. Little they double do, act. Yeah. It's, it's it's very nice. Um, we need another Barry. Come on. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're also, as you said, like, you know, quite different in personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you surprised how how different they are or was that something that you were kind of, that you noticed early? Like, because, I mean, the thing always being, you know, people ask my brother all the time, you know, my brother is a farmer. They're like, you know, they yeah. ask about me. I mean, we're raised in the same house a year and a half apart. It's not, yeah. you know, there's we have a lot of commonalities, but we also are, are very different people. Yeah. Were you surprised that they were so different or you were just were like, oh, yeah, okay, they're different. They're, they're different kids. Of course they're different. Um, I'm surprised that the, that Mo isn't a girl. <laughs> I'm still getting over that. He's 10, but it's like, what do you mean you're not a girl? <laughs> I was so sick when I was pregnant with him. <laughs> that I, And I remember saying at one stage, this baby has to be a girl because no man would make me feel this bad. It's just, there's just no way. So, yeah, um, they're really similar in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they've both got the long hair and they're a little bit left of centre and they don't, you know, where we live, we're up in the hills um, with the hill folk, the hill children. <laughs> they're fucking huge. My... <laughs> My kids are so little and scrawny. <laughs> that staggers me every time they play sport. It's like, oh, stop. It's horrific. I'll show you some photos after this. Horrific. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I think, yes, they, they are different. I'm not surprised. I'm uh, difficult to wrangle because, I mean, Spike's very, me with the penis. No surprises. It's, you know, I clash with him. <laughs> and when I clash with him, if it gets out of control, my husband, Ben, will just come into the room really, really quietly and stand behind me and just whisper into my ear, now you know what it's like to live with you. <laughs> this is a brave moment for him as well. He's behind me. <laughs> The exit's really fucking quick. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just that little whisper and I go, ah, fair point. Well, I'm, I'm just going to continue because I've got to win. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, so, but Mo, Mo's a, Mo's a kid. He's a, I don't know. Did you always want to have kids? Was that always no. kind of part of your plan? No, no, never. No, we actually discussed it before we got married. It was like. Oh, I don't want kids. No, I don't want kids either. And I can't have kids. I've got polycystic ovaries and I'm, I can't have kids. So let's let's just, you know, go forth and have fun. And then a couple of years into marriage, <laughs> I thought, what is that fucking ticking? I thought, oh, I want, I want a baby. Oh, I need one of those things. So I'll have one of those, please. All right. Yeah, so not on the plan at all. 
to the point where my parents actually had quasi-grandchildren because they were not expecting to ever get any from us. Right. It was never going to happen. They'd, they'd sort of taken in a couple of strays <laughs> just as backups. Totally. Yeah, we've got some backup grandies. I mean, it was bad news for those kids. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were on a luxury ride and suddenly <laughs> you swanned in with a couple of adorable grandchildren. <laughs> I made these myself. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, so no, no, it was never, it was never on the cards. Um, did you have to think about what sort of parent you would be, like what sort of life and lifestyle? Did like did being um like a mother change your plans for what you thought you? Well, of course it does. It of course it changes it your does. plans for what you're going to do with your life. But how much did it change your plans for what you were going to thinking you were going to do with your life? You have one baby, and you still have grand illusions of oh, you know, well, you know this. It won't change what I do. And for a a long time it doesn't. Um, But then you have that second one and it is, yeah, you just sort of realise the bravado of pushing forth and and continuing down that path that you were on saying the whole time, no, no, everything's fine, I I can manage Um, or this is what I want. That's the biggest thing I think. This is what I want changes. Uh, okay, so let's go back. Let's uh, go back to when we first met. Let's go back. Yes, to, yes. Let's do that. Let's start at the beginning and work mm. work our way forward. Now that we've you know had a little chat about Got that. completely off the rails. I like that. No, yeah. it's good. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. I'm always fascinated. It's always like I think I think it, there is a real curiosity in me at this point in my life mm. about the effect that having children has on other people's lives. You know, we yeah, live in this yeah. we live in this generation now where I've gone from most of my friends not having kids to now most of my friends yep. having kids. I'm yep. now at the age where even with people doing it late, most, yeah. of, them, most of them had a crack at it by now. <laughs> most of us have figured it out, Will. Yeah. I've got a booklet for you on the way out. And yeah. some graphic drawings. The group of people that I can hang around <laughs> with and go, well, they haven't got kids either. It's getting smaller and smaller. So <laughs> I'm always fascinated. <laughs> Um, so I have dogs and a cat. Yes. I'm like, you know, it's fine. Oh, I, yeah. I did yeah. The, the transition from the, uh, I had an Italian, you do remember Pointy, my Italian greyhound? I do. Pointy McBeal. I got that dog because my joke was, um, you know how people, they say the longer you have a pet, the more you look alike. So I'm starting <laughs> with an Italian greyhound. And, uh, he was always thin and I wasn't. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, no, I did that too. Yeah. Okay, so we we met. Um, okay, so I'm going to say 1996. Yeah. I'm going to say if I had to guess a 95? year, five, ninety five, yeah, maybe I think actually ninety five. So uh, 1995. No, earlier, ninety four. Really? I think so. Really. It's been a long Can time, it be that honey. Yeah. Long. Okay. Yeah, it's been twenty one years since we won the fucking Barry. Okay. So, well, well, okay. Well, in that case, it's got to be. Wow. All right. Well, it was a long anyway, time ago. long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Uh, can't be 94 because that would mean that, like, this is my 25th year of doing comedy. That can't that surely That'd can't be That'd be right, be back, <laughs> You should be good at it by now. <laughs> no, that's what I say to myself constantly. <laughs> I do think about that a lot. I'm like... Oh God! It's like I should be better at it than I am. Like, 
because I've tried really hard to. <laughs> like, I've tried really hard at it for like 25 years. I often think, I should be better at this. <laughs> like, when people, young people are offering me for like asking for advice and stuff, I'm like, oh, mate, I don't know. Because I have been trying real hard at this. <laughs> like, I've tried everything and I'm good, but I'm not great. And look. <laughs> You know which way to face at the start. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so fucking different, though, to when we started. So I, I, that was where we were going to start with this Insane. because I think that it, particularly when you do something constantly, as I have, uninterrupted, mm. I mean. Yeah, yeah. That it's like when somebody loses weight or puts on weight that the person themselves might not notice as much because it's gradual. But right. if you haven't seen them for a while, you have much more 32 of 32 kilos, mate. Uh, that's what I was trying to get. To. You look fantastic. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> On or off? No. <laughs> oh, you're a oh, Speaking of which, like, <laughs> how's our friend Adam Richard? I know. Oh, my God. Like when he medals from running marathon races Unbelievable. And this Looks is amazing. the same boy that used to call me at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I'm having a muffin emergency. Come over. Uh, same person I had lunch with 200 days in a row. <laughs> yes. In a row. Yes, yes. Like, you know. Um, we lived in Joe's garage. Mm, lived there. We lived there. Yeah. Would be found there every day. Every anyway, day. So it was a great. <laughs> I, I often look back on that time in my life and I romanticize it, obviously, because things have yeah. things have gone well for me in general in a general sense yeah. in my chosen profession yeah and but the kind of rise of it you know it, it has felt very gradual to me in that like I don't have much perspective on oh, my life or career okay. because yeah. I just do the festival every year and I yeah. yeah did this and then I did that and then bit by bit things sort of yeah grow and then suddenly you've been doing it for like yeah. 25 years and you know you're doing quite well at it and but it doesn't feel like I never had some sort of overnight sense of you know I grew up around it and the industry grew as I grew the industry absolutely so yeah look your trajectory was really evident from day one because you were really smart really pretty and really consistently working so from an outsider's perspective which I was, <laughs> um, watching, I mean, you, you landed, I remember meeting you, you were standing there with Whitey, Lyndall McElwain, and we were all chatting, I was with Adam, and uh, anyway, um, but your trajectory was almost expected, there was no other path, I don't think that was available for you. So, I look back on those times very fondly. You know, because when things work out, it's very easy to romanticise when things weren't going well. It's the greatest times in your life. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, 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 that's the context I want to say is that, yeah. like, I look back on those times so fondly because those times led to, you know, good times. Yeah. If if I continued to not make money out of comedy for seven years or ten years <laughs> or whatever, I might not have had the same fond <laughs> recollections of the, you know, times on the dole having lunch with the same people 200 days in a row. They're fond memories from it. But if I was still doing it now, then there's a there's a point where that becomes... Oh, babe, I was at a party a couple of weeks ago and I'll tell you off. Yeah, like... okay. <laughs> so, anyway. So the point amazing. being that I look back on those times <laughs> and... It's only now that I'm coming to reckon with some of the 
looking outside your own world mm. into the broader context of the world. Mm. As we now live in an era where, you know, like, you know, Hannah's show, you know, Nanette has become a sort of emblem, a, a touching pole for a whole bunch of things that have been happening, you know, in our industry for a while, but has yeah. really kind of like, you know, bashed down the door and like gone, have a look at this and we all need to be genuinely sort of accountable as an industry to representation yeah. and these sort of things. The timing of it too was exquisite. Had right. she done it 10 years ago, I, I don't think it would have had the same, it would have been the same show and it would have been the same message and the performance and the the, um, the evocative nature of the entire piece would have still been there but people wouldn't have been receptive. Well, so this is – somebody asked me on radio the other day uh, uh, about Nanette and they were saying that very thing. They were going, oh, have you noticed that comedy's really changed since Nanette? Like, and I was like, not really. No. 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 What I found Nanette was, was a really good kind of indication of a lot of things that were happening in comedy. Yeah. Like, you know, Nanette wasn't a show that was completely different to a lot of – it was different to what people were seeing in America. I can see why yeah, worldwide yeah. it made such a – Yeah, me too. Like yes. it pulled the rug from yeah, other people yeah. because they don't see comedy like that. But if you no, go to the Melbourne Comedy point. Festival, yeah. you can go and see, you know – 20, 30 shows that are exactly. not necessarily doing that same thing but pushing the art form in Absolutely. in those various different ways. Yeah. And this was an idea and a piece whose time has come. A comedian at, you know, the right point in her career to Absolutely. be able to handle it. The show yeah. at the right time when yeah. society wanted it, something to yeah. hold on to that was about that. Yeah. You know, it was, like you said, the right time Timing and place perfect, with yeah. somebody who knew how to exactly take Execute advantage yep. of that moment. Yep. But it does make you reflect on what what it was like to be in the Melbourne comedy scene 25 years ago because the things that she talks about in her Sorry, show, I'm so distracted. No, okay. Give me two seconds. No, Sorry, darling. So, uh, Nanette. So, yep. br- uh, brilliant show. And I got to see it in its kind of early incarnation at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. and. Mm. Many of the things that were in that show I just found inc- incredibly provocative and brilliantly expressed. But they were certainly, you know, things that I'd found equally as provocative, you know, in Zoe Coombs-Mars show yeah, yeah. the year before. And, yeah. you know, that I would find in a bunch of performers around the scene who were doing, you know, similarly, you know, interesting, you know, Felicity Ward shows and mm. these things that would have these themes. But it made me reflect. And it's made me reflect a lot on how lucky I was yeah. to be surrounded by such strong, hilarious, you know, female comics my entire career. But what it's also made me reflect on is that that made me not really ever challenge the idea of how these themes that are coming through Hannah's work mm. of like how difficult it has been for representation, how much of the the world has relied on being sort of, you know, um, you know, self-effacing or making fun of yourself to fit in in a world that wasn't made for you. Mm. When you're surrounded, as I was, by you guys and by Judith Lucy and Sue Ann Post and Linda yeah. Gibson and... Yeah these people who were all the stars of the scene when I first started, yeah. I 
didn't really take the time to have the awareness of, you know, what it would be like necessarily for them at that time. So Why would you have? Well, yes. But maybe, <laughs> yeah. but in, in reflection, sometimes I do look back and still yeah, think, yeah. why didn't I? Yeah. You know, why did I think that if there was like eight guys on the lineup and one woman or two women, that women, it, just because those two women happened to be the best two people that were on the lineup, yeah, <laughs> it, it made me not think that isn't it still weird that it isn't five women and five men or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, but without me, what I want to do is frame the question, like mm. frame go, I wasn't looking as hard at the time. I was concentrating on myself and what I was doing, what my yeah, friends yeah. were doing and all these sort of things. Yeah. Um, so, but you were there, you know, you were right. like right <laughs> slap bang in the middle of it and at yeah. a different point to me and looking at it through different eyes. And so I wanted to start by just, what do you remember? Like, what what was it like, you know, when we, around when we met, around that time? Yeah. Where were you at in, in your comedy career and in your life? What was the scene like? How did it feel to be an act that, you know, not only, you know, two women doing an act, but to be doing something that was... Even then, you know, now we look at this world where, you know, your Sam Simmons or your yeah. Adult Swim and these sort of yeah. things have made that style of comedy a bit more part of the vernacular. So even if you totally. are a Sam Simmons type, yeah, like as unusual as that sort of comedy still is, mm-hmm. it's not as unusual anymore because even though there might not be somebody doing anything like what Sam Simmons is, mm. there's somebody doing a, a different version of exactly. what they're doing. Whereas right. At the, okay, I get, I'm going to stop talking now. That's my, <laughs> that's my scene setting. Here's why yeah, I'm yeah. asking these questions. Yeah. But w- what was it like for you back then? It, it's interesting. It's interesting because um, we, like you just said, we, the stuff we were doing was so left of centre. Um, so to put it in context, you were in a, a group A duo called, called Miss Itchy. Miss Itchy. Um, with the very hilarious Linda Hagger and I, we... We'd started together, we did stand up together and apart, but the stuff that made us just cry with laughter was all this weird stuff. Um, And, you know, Tim Harris and um, somebody else, I can't remember, I'm sorry, Tim, um, organised a night at... Um, we well, don't have to say sorry, Tim. You remembered Tim. I do remember Tim. I don't remember <laughs> sorry Tim's friend. Other, sorry, other Sorry, person. other Tim. <laughs> Tim Harris. You don't need to apologise to him. He got he got a shout out. He's sorry, awesome. whoever else. Whoever else, <laughs> whomever you are. <laughs> they they organised a night at the Limerick Arms in South Melbourne called Purge, and it was the premise was bring out your dead. So bring out the material that you can't do at the SB. Or, you know, anywhere else, um, this is the material that's too dark, too weird. And Linda and I lost our minds and just went, oh, this is perfect. We've got all this material that we can't do on a normal night. Let's put on a wig and do it. So that's how Miss you were born. Um, so to getting back to the point, we were, the camaraderie was gorgeous. The friends that, that the group that we were Back then, like Alan Bro was there, um, you obviously, um, Rove came along a little bit later, um, you know, a bunch of people, really smart, funny, driven, weird people. And Linda and I were in that group behind Judith and Gibbo and Denise Scott, 
So we were sort of just behind that bit and a little bit in front of Corinne and Michelle Laurie and that. So we were kind of in limbo and, and again, the stuff we were doing was really odd. Had we been pretty boys, I think it would have been very different. I think the material would have been the same, but I think the acceptance of the performance would have been very different because we were essentially the fat girl version of Mighty Boosh. Right. And we started at the same time. And those boys were in our cage in Edinburgh and we crossed paths and we loved each other and and without knowing of each other because back then there wasn't the internet and you, you didn't see what people were doing overseas. Um, you had to wait for videotapes and <laughs> shit. I think it was even pre-DVD, wasn't it? Oh, it was definitely <laughs> pre-DVD. I remember us, and I think we can say this now because, you know, Dave Taranto, you know, oh. uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the all-time greats. But uh, Dave, um, and certainly, you know, so encouraging of, you know, uh, what I did, you know, early yeah. on. And, um, you know, gave me incredible opportunities, Dave. And used to run all my favourite shows even. Yeah. It's just what, that I used to go and watch, you yeah, know. Yeah, me too. Um, and, you know, I probably still... You know, if I'm thinking about times in my life that I've been genuinely thrilled about something, you know, like I remember the first time they asked me to do the gala, the comedy festival, and that was a big thrill because, yeah. you know, and comics still say that, which even younger comics still, because you grow up watching it on TV and you're yeah, like, yeah. well, that's the club that I want to be part of. Mm. But before that, and probably even more thrilling than that, was like the first time that I got asked to do Cheese Shop because. Oh to my me God, that, yes. To me, that was like, you know. You're it, you made you're it. it. You're okay. Yeah. You'll be all right. Totally. You know. And so Dave used to run illegal. Uh, remember he used to do Bill Hicks nights and stuff yeah, and we'd yeah. go to like the Prince Pat <laughs> yeah. and he would have some videotape of like some Bill Hicks concert and he'd just like show it on the screen. Yeah, That's yeah. how we watched things back then. That was Absolutely. our YouTube. We had to gather in a yeah. pub and all watch <laughs> like a, a comedy video. <laughs> yeah, at the cheese shop. Yes, yeah. totally. At the Prince Pat. I totally remember. That was the first time I think I saw Reeves and Mortimer. Yeah, well, he Lost had, I mean, mind. you know, you wonder what, and this is like about your ongoing long lasting effect that Dave Taranto has had on the Melbourne comedy yeah. scene is that a lot of the time, because he had a radio show also mm. obviously on Triple R and he would play, you know, pieces of comedy yes. that like the first time I heard of Mitch Hedberg or the first time yeah. I heard of, you know, a lot of these comedians that, yeah, yeah really influenced, you know, eventually what it is that I would do or wanted to do, you know, Will Durst and all these like yes. amazing people that he, he knew about that yeah. in those days, that was our YouTube. Yeah. Dave Taranto right? was our YouTube. He was our, Dave Taranto was our YouTube. Dave Taranto <laughs> basically invented YouTube. <laughs> that's true. Oh my, that's so fucking true. And um, <laughs> so do you think firstly that, Miss Itchy would have been the sort of act that in this day and age with YouTube oh. and with the capacity for, you know, because there's that, um, uh, it's a Adult Swim thing called Dr. Steve Brule or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's um, John C. Riley. Yes. And it could honestly, it's, and it's one of those things that my friends who are into it are so into it, you know, <laughs> and... It just reminds me of Miss Itchy. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, this is this is essentially just Miss Itchy. Yeah. 
you know, and it's one of the most popular things on the internet. Yeah. Is there a part of you that thinks this was an act just a bit before its time We're in that always, regard? Yes, yeah. And it's a thing I hear the most. Oh, you were too early. It was, yeah, too far ahead of your time. Which, you know, sounds wanky, but it's it's just true. It is true. They, Yeah, audiences weren't ready. And the ones that were were so ready. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, like Hannah's great timing, <laughs> our shit timing. Terrible timing. Terrible. <laughs> Couldn't have picked a worse fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, look, if I – we um, – the comedy festival asked us to present the comedy festival award this year, which was really lovely to be just remembered. <laughs> um, and we were, you know, talking to people before and after – and just, you know, looking at the landscape now and how different it is and and how um, how easy it is for you to get your work out there is mind-blowing. Yeah, and I would love to be starting now because all of those little barriers are not there anymore. I mean, I think it's still incredibly difficult for women in inverted commas um, because – and. and I, I also friggin' hate, oh, there needs to be more women. Well, no, there needs to be more good people. I don't give a shit what your gender is. I don't care what you, where you're coming from. Um, funny is funny, but where it does trickle down is it does need to be in those clubs where it's not an <laughs> it's not a, a, a novelty to have, you know, more than two women on the bill. I did stand up in only a few years ago with Fiona O'Loughlin and um, Linda, Fiona dragged us out to (laughs) the Comics Lounge where I'd never been, so perhaps not my crowd, (laughs) just to do some stand-up because I hadn't done it for a while. And um, I'm standing in the wings and the MC's on stage and he reads my name and he goes, oh, oh, the first person up here, oh, oh, it's a woman. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. I thought, are you fucking serious? Do you not have a calendar at home? Do you not know what year it is that that even needs to be highlighted? So I think that um, we talk, we have lots of discussions about privilege on this show and uh, (laughs) uh, it's hard to even say the word privilege without it already sounding like something that, you know, (laughs) you should turn off. But I think that, you know, I I recognise more and more when you're on the outlook for the ways that you have been privileged in your life. Mm. As as soon as you start looking, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing what you've had the capacity to ignore <laughs> until you start looking, and then yeah. you're like, oh, oh, yeah. So once you start to unpick, and I guess this is sometimes why people don't want to unpick in the first place. No, don't make me not. unpick because we yeah. know that I'll never get it back once I start again. unpicking yeah. this, that there's going to be a lot more to it. Yeah. And one of the things that I always acknowledge is that I have success privilege in that success itself gives you a warped understanding of how the rest of the industry operates, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So because I've always been, and again, maybe not to the level, well, definitely not to the levels that it should have been, but the top end in some ways was better served in a gender alternative lifestyle, whatever 
your story was. Mm. It was almost better represented, but because there was a what you're saying about people need to be good, what you would find is that, yes, the best of the women were as good as the best of everybody else, if yeah, not better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that anytime those things, the meetings of the best things, the gala or whatever, there'd yeah. be a bunch of like, you're like, but then you'd look back and you'd look at the numbers and you'd think what we thought was like a bunch wasn't a bunch. No. Like it wasn't anywhere near enough of a bunch. Yeah. It was completely distorted the way that our mind looked at that, which mm. was like, well, there's a regular woman on this show, so we'll overlook the fact that there's <laughs> like three regular men on the show. Yeah. That seems like a good percentage. Look at the good job we're doing. Yeah, you know aren't I mean? we ice? Yeah. Aren't we amazing? And the, Or a gala where you're like, there was five or six really strong women on. Wow. I mean, there was 24 people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Look, there's a reason we started up front. Is right, that, so, that was the reason. Okay, great. So talk to people about then... What environment? So, who is around? We, I think we've mentioned most. Do we mention again? It shouldn't be easy to mention five people, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. But yeah. the point being that it is that sort of what you consider almost that bo- bottom rung to next rung, yeah. which is so dominated by men still. Yeah, absolutely. And can see, like yeah. festivals aren't as uncomfortable place. Some of the time when I hear these stories. It, you know, the stories about, oh, you just don't know what it was like to you know, walk into a room with, you know, it's not the audience that was the problem. It was the nine, you know, blokes who oh, all thought they were hugely backstage. Yeah, who, oh, my gosh. You yeah. know, like that was the problem. Yeah. And again, I think I've got a slightly skewed version of that too because Linda and I weren't um, – <sighs> we weren't fuckable. You know, that's the bottom line. Um, Linda was a good 10 years older than everybody else in the room. She was married. She had kids. I mean, that was a really unusual... Little do people know you two were the most up for it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the quiet ones, Will. It's always the quiet ones. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think we we had a very skewed um, experience as well. But you're you're not bringing... So, yes. Okay. So that... Mm. But also you're bringing something... Totally weird. Totally weird to the table Yeah, so well. it was one plus one plus five. Yeah. What the fuck to do with them? I'm scared. I love them, but I'm frightened. That was the constant. <laughs> I love them, but I'm frightened. It, it was, you know, that was a review we had. I love them, but I'm frightened. I mean, it's often though, when I look at, you know, and I love Sam Simmons. He's come up a couple of times. Oh, I'm so in love with I him. I love Sam Simmons and uh, I love what Sam Simmons does and I love it. Mm. I love watching it because yeah. because it's not what I do in any way. Mm. I'll go and see people that I love, but there's almost a point where my brain can't help but just notice what they're doing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you deconstruct just, it. Yeah. Even if I don't want to. Yeah, even same. if my, you know, yeah. if I go out and... See Dylan Moran, who is my favourite comedian of all time. Yeah, he's amazing. And, uh, and all I want to do is sit there and enjoy Dylan Moran. But even halfway through the show, I'll find myself eventually going, ah, oh, that's I how like that yeah. <laughs> works or that's how that's put together. Or, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that joke. How, where do you start with that? Like, yeah, yeah. Bra- your brain just starts doing that. Of course, that. yeah. Whereas when I go to see Sam Simmons, my brain doesn't do that because that's not how, <laughs> that's not how my brain works. You know, my brain's like, no, 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 thank you. This is. Oh, see, I'm I'm right in. I'm right in there. Yeah, yeah. but so I can just enjoy. It. I can yeah. just laugh and enjoy myself because I don't have to 
think about it. And I think yeah. to me, that's why I was always such a big fan of you guys as well, is that yeah. there was an element of watching you guys that just made me not like I could just be overwhelmed by it <laughs> in the way that made me just be able to be in it, you know? Yeah. And that's great. But I do think that, yes, there's a lot of things that you had as as barriers in front of you. Yeah, totally. When you yeah. added them all up. So yeah. talk to me about the then how it felt like for opportunities at the time oh. and, and and then how Upfront came out of that eventually. Well, Upfront happened before that. Oh, it did, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Is up, that right? Yeah, yeah. We Upfront... I guess around about the same time, mm -hmm. we didn't really start doing Misichi until 93, 94. I think 94 was our first, oh, it might have been 95, eh, whatever. Back then, fairly close, but Misichi um, actually, oh, no, the first, the first upfront we did Misichi yeah. um, and we also had... Um, Nolene Drag, uh, so Gibbo and Paul McCarthy. Um, so if, for the first few years when we were still, you know, in control of it, and when I say we, I mean there was uh, – Lyndall McElwain was a huge um, driver of that. Um, Gibbo, uh, Scotty, um, who am I forgetting? <sighs> Janet, um, us, Ishlal. I'm sorry I've forgotten the other people. But anyway, there was there was like a, a handful of us that went, we just need to do a show. And really I think it was driven by Lyndall. And um, Linda and I just going, ah, fuck it. We just need a venue, you know. So that first one was at um, at the SB and it was great. It was sold out and it was packed and it was a great night. Um, but we, there was a con an absolutely conscious effort to have a bloke in the lineup somewhere in those early times. And the second one we did, we had um, Sean Cullen doing his... Um, David and Sybil. Oh, yes. God damn it. How awesome was that? One of the all-time great oh, comedy characters. Christ. And Sean Cullen, again, this is, comes out of partly out of Dave Taranto's, um, yep. you know, obsession with, I mean, corking the juice pigs. Yeah. We would not have known about it in Australia no. other than through Dave. Yeah. And then Dave used to bring them out and produce their shows at the yeah. SB. It was the first comedy festival I ever did, was doing support for Cork in the Juice Bits. Oh, wow. Um, including a lunchtime gig that I did with Sean. <laughs> I'll tell you a couple of Cork in the Juice Bits stories that you'll like. <laughs> so firstly, they every night, this is amazing. Because they were like, you know, to me, Doug Anthony Orsales and Cork in the Juice Pigs were on par with each other of how much that I loved both of Same. them. Same, yeah, and yeah. Just, and they were so different that you felt like you could enjoy both. Yeah. You, to, you, know, <laughs> you weren't cheating on you one with yeah, the other. You didn't have to pick a side, you know. It was good. <laughs> no, I can be – I reckon the Doug Anthony also would be into this and I reckon <laughs> Cork and the Juice Speaks would be into the Doug Anthony also. This is all fine. This has worked out well. Totally. This yeah. is not a Radiohead and Coldplay situation. No, <laughs> no don't, we all need to move to I, uh, Utah and get married. So um, – <laughs> uh, so the way the show worked was I would do 20 minutes of material and then they'd have a break and then they'd come back and they'd do their, their act. Yeah. And every night they would sit and watch me do my set every yeah. night. And every night they would sit, set me a task. So 
it might be that I would <laughs> that I would have to use a certain expression yep. a certain amount of times yep. or yep. the two most difficult were um, one that I had to fall over 10 times and not ever mention to the audience that I was falling oh, over. Oh, genius. Uh, and then oh. the second one was uh, I was doing a lot of political material at the time <laughs> and uh, I had to use the expression 10 times, I like tits but I'm really an ass man. <laughs> but again, not mentioned to the audience why I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. So like I've got all this stuff about Jeff Kettett and like <laughs> Colin Hansen and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then just having to spontaneously use this phrase Drop a in line. the middle of it <sighs> without and like eventually from the roars up the back from them as they yeah. say up the back, people would kind of cotton on to the fact like, that yeah, it was part of the back joke. Of the room and, stuff, yeah. and it would work. But more than anything, it just taught me how much like trying to make something work that you can't clue the audience in on yeah. what it is. Yeah. How much it affected the way that I did my other material and all these sort of things. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it was a great comedy lesson as well as just being great fun for me to, you know, be in that environment totally. and whatever. Linda and I used to stand backstage before we went on some nights and it wasn't every night but just you know, some nights one of us would look at the other one and go, it's on. And that meant the first one to make the other one laugh was the winner. Right. Yeah, glorious just having those all. Well, the other one was Sean moments. Cullen uh, and I drove Love out to him. a university gig and it was an hour drive <laughs> and he was telling me this story and it wasn't <laughs> until about halfway through the story I realised he was just reading the signs and names of businesses <laughs> and then just turning them into characters in this story. And he'd just been telling me this tale of just like oh one God. after another, just like... And incorporating them yeah. in, it was... That was his act. That was him. Anyway, so he was on. Oh. So Upfront became... Upfront, for those who don't know, it's now an iconic part of the yeah, Melbourne yeah. Comedy Festival. Sells out the town hall every year. Yeah. And, um, but it, it, it originated as a, a gala, but of all female acts, plus one token bloke. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how it started. Just to, just to you know, address the imbalance. And, you know, there was a full rota of... Of women even way back then when, you know, it was Slim Pickens in that back room, that back room at the SB with a slab of beer and, you know, it was just wall-to-wall dick. And there was a couple of chicks there. But um, the fact that we could pull it all together and, and have a really strong, funny lineup full of women. Rachel Berger, I forgot Rachel, she was definitely involved. So, yeah, that that sort of started um, back then. And it, and it was... Definitely uh, born out of necessity. How much do you think, because I, I always think of the Melbourne Comedy Festival as being, you know, you get a skewed, I have Melbourne Comedy Festival privilege. You mm. know, we've had the privilege of growing up in a city and, you know, kind of honing our craft and doing our craft in a city that respects comedy. Like yeah. comedy is an integral part of Melbourne's identity mm. um, and our comedy community is admired worldwide mm. people know the melbourne comedy scene has been you know it has ups and downs and whatever but it yeah. is a, a world-renowned place to go and do comedy melbourne yeah. and that festival may well be the best comedy festival in the world yeah edinburgh is bigger but it's not a comedy festival it's a fringe Correct. festival that yep. has a comedy element to it yep. montreal is a trade convention and it's, it's the biggest stars yep. but it's big gala shows and rarely people doing their hour yeah. the idea yeah. that you know 600 different shows can do a month of shows or one show or whatever they want to do. You know, mm. Basically, if they have an idea in their head yeah, and they can save a bit of money during the year, you can find somewhere to put it exactly, on. You can yeah. do a show at the Comedy Festival. Yeah. It's 
it's a a festival built out of people's ideas and dreams and you know mm. they didn't dig anything up they they had an idea in their head and they you know put it together and they made something and i, I love it and yeah. i think that melbourne has been really well served melbourne comedy has been ser- well served by the festival because yeah. the festival tries to be on the the cutting edge of like you know trends in world comedy and stuff yeah. now but that wasn't always the case this is what has developed no, exactly yeah. and I wonder, you know, if there's been anything more important to the way that it has developed than Upfront. Because mm, I think Upfront being such a reminder every year. Yeah, right. Like this is inbuilt. I mean, hopefully to the point one day where it exists. Well, hopefully maybe that is now. But if it isn't, hopefully it is soon. That mm. the only reason for it to exist is that it's still cool that it exists rather than there being a necessity for it to exist. Exactly, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like I, I don't think so. that, you know, the, the, it shouldn't be. It's such a great show that the victory shouldn't be that it isn't needed anymore. Well, the victory should be that it isn't needed anymore, but it happens regardless just because it's a cool show. Yeah, exactly. And maybe yeah. we are at that point now. Maybe we're still not at that point. What do you think? Thoughts? Uh, uh, Your look- thoughts? <laughs> Over to you, Faye. What do you think? Look, I'm so removed from it now that um, uh, I, I don't really know. Um, I, I really haven't been a part of the scene for a long time now. Um, Linda and I stopped working, really sort of did our – stopped working back before I moved to the US, so back in 2000 I think was our last show. Um, and then we came back in – 2014 and did a couple 2014 2015 did some fringes and um some mick of shows and the beast coming back to it after having that break was so apparent that um oh this is actually a legitimate thing now you know this isn't something that you take time off work to to do for that month during april or that you know a couple of weeks in september this is like a full-on thing you do this then you do Adelaide then you do like there's a circuit and it's there's a road show there's um that international market includes New Zealand now and it's it's a behemoth of a thing that you almost can't do part-time and uh that that's where we came unstuck coming back the second time was like oh fuck this is (laughs) I got shit to do (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've got, got fucking shit to do. And um, that that's when I transitioned seamlessly into real estate. But, well, but I, okay, so, because <laughs> I, I definitely want to talk about that. But I want to put it in the context of, so you're doing this thing. So is, is the culmination, is the kind of high point of that winning the Barry? Is that the, or is there a period of time after that where it becomes bigger because of winning the Barry? Um, it was... Yeah, because we so well. Not the well. It's still you the, won the was it the Barry when you won it? No, we won the Stella. The Stella. Yeah. So you didn't even ever win the Barry. No. You've no. never had your grubby hands associated. I've licked a few. <laughs> <laughs> but you, well, for people that don't know, Miss Itchy won the first time that the Melbourne the International Comedy Festival yeah. did an award. It was won by Miss Itchy. Yeah. And so that is, and that's what I've always loved. I I think the spirit of the award should be that, which is that picking out the best show of the festival is a very 
fraught thing to do regardless. It's so subjective. Yeah, yeah, very subjective. And, you know, these days there are, you know, there really are 30, 40 shows that could easily be, yeah, you know, totally. nominated in place of the other people who get nominated. Yeah. Um, but for it to be a, a going, this is the show of the festival. Mm. You know, this is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best show or the funniest show, or, but this is, this is the this show. Is, yeah. This is the show that... And that year we absolutely yeah, were. You were the show of the festival. Yeah. And there has been years since where you go, yeah, this is the show everyone's talking about. Yeah. This is the show that everyone's debating or yeah. confronted by or yeah. whatever it is. It doesn't yeah. have to be universal applause and recognition. Maybe no. it's getting as many people walking out of it than... Yeah, yeah. You know, there was... I think the year Daniel Kitson arrived, arrived, oh, you know. Like, I again, him too. they're just those shows that... Polarizing. We're polarizing people that were confusing people that suddenly people were like, have you seen this? Yeah. They're being performed in that beautiful zeitgeist moment where people don't know what they've signed up for yes, when they walk yes, through the door. Yes, which yes, yes. is, you know. <laughs> um so tell me about that then. when suddenly you go from doing this thing that feels like it's a really fringy out there thing to suddenly you're in the middle of this festival where it's the show that everybody is talking about. We were sold out every night and, yeah, it was crazy. Um, the the irony is it was never fringy to us. It was just funny. So we never saw it as that until somebody went, oh, so what are you going to do with it? And the ABC started sniffing around going, oh, we want to make a pilot. And we thought, oh, fuck, shit, we could actually, oh, stand back. Okay, all right, we got this. And we wrote, I don't know, five, six pilots. We shot four. It was just soul-destroying, <laughs> absolutely soul-destroying because they were saying, um, this is the thing we want, you know, this is what everybody's talking about, this is amazing, there's nothing like it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what do you want to do? So we'd write it and they'd look at it and they'd go, this is great, let's shoot some of it. And we'd shoot some of it and they go, this is great. We love all the bits except the bits that you love. <laughs> <laughs> can we just can we just tone the itchiness down a bit? It's like, oh, the thing you wanted, you just want to, yeah, okay, all right, fine, we'll do that. So we wrote another one. We brought John Clark into it. He was going to be our little secretary, and Linda and Faye were going to treat him appallingly, um, and it was going to be hilarious. And Itchy were in it. Oh, it's brilliant! And John was the biggest thing on TV at the time. After the games, it was like, yeah, this is genius. We love it. Okay, so we shot a little bit. That's awesome, but can we just lose that stuff? And here, look, go and be head writers for this show. And it was just soul-destroying, absolutely crushing. And I know that we weren't the only ones going through that because I watched Alan Bro have the same treatment. They were developing things and the Curry Boys were developing things. And, I mean, it was just an absolute shit fight. There was nobody in charge of any kind of rudder. In the building, sort of push stuff forward, and that was just massively frustrating. So, what what happens after, next after that? Then, because that you've gone from you know, and the worst thing in the world, and this is the great thing about uh, you know the world that we live in now is that yeah. you would go off and you would make it for somewhere else, like yeah. a funny or a die or a blah blah exactly. blah. We go, yeah, no, no, yeah. don't change it. In yeah. fact, make it weirder. <laughs> Like we need more itchy, you know. Um, yeah. But th- there wasn't really that possibility to do that. Then. No, no. So what not happens at all. then? Um, we just 
stop doing it because the there wasn't a there wasn't a venue you know there wasn't we demonstrated that there was a market for what we were doing albeit I mean it, it certainly wasn't a prime time channel 7 show we weren't disillusioned either but there was a market for it and the fact that we couldn't push it out there was it's just really frustrating so you go all right well what else can we do and um, Linda had young kids I was single I was going to go overseas um we both sort of felt like, okay, if we were in the UK, this would work for us. Mm. So why don't you go to the UK, me, and lay the groundwork. And, Sniff it out. And I'll come over when, you know, and we'll shoot it and then I can. So that was kind of this vague, maybe, that seemed like the only way out kind of thing. Um, uh, but, yeah, look, it's just demoralising and it sort of stops you and then I met my husband who's now my husband he wasn't then (laughs) not for long (laughs) and you know five minutes later I was in Colorado just completely the opposite direction going all right then I'll be over here And, and Linda and I did have a a really huge falling out and we didn't speak for years years it's, it, it always strikes me as when you're a part of a, you know, I have friends who are parts of things, you yeah, know, where yeah. it relies on, you know, more more than one of them. Yeah. And they often, you know, there's a moment, there's some time in between <laughs> where. <laughs> Don't fucking look at me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard enough to, it's hard enough to. <laughs> Be making your own decisions exactly. for your own yeah, life yeah. at that point, let alone having to consider that somebody else is also yeah, involved in those decisions. Yeah. And look, the, the the other side of it is um, if anything went wrong, it was always her fault. <laughs> there was always a fall guy. Um, no, we were definitely in it together. and But yes, there gets a point where you just go, I can't do it without you. That's the bottom line. It's like I want to but I can't because the thing that makes it funny is the two. So, so you stop. So, yes. So, if you can't be the two, then I'm not going to do it at all. No. So, you, but you, when you moved to America, mm. so where are you living in Colorado? We're in Denver. So, did you like Denver? Were you a lot? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Denver is one of my, if, if not my favourite American city, is, is certainly beautiful. one of my favourite cities. And it's just, I like the people there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's they, Melbourne, but hilly and no yeah. air. And they have legal weed now as well. <laughs> Decriminalised magic mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to like about Denver. And they have a <laughs> club called Comedy Works, which has been incredibly, yeah, right downtown. incredibly kind to me in yeah. my US touring and, and a great Run club. by a woman. And uh, yes, indeed. Mm. And, um, and and good, good club. Just a yeah. really great club to play and mm. um, always was surrounded by great comics when I played there. And they mm. looked after me very, very nicely. So... Just everything about Denver I liked. Mm. Um, It's still on my kind of... Will I go back there and Well, if shit falls... No, I always have a... If everything went to shit and you wanted to live somewhere where nobody knows you. Because I don't mind everything going to shit. 
everything going to shit, I can kind of go, that's fine. Yeah. To yeah. be honest, I've got a pile of books over there that I never have time to read. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I've got some everything going to shit time on my hands. I'd, I'd find plenty of ways to fill it. Um, I've got a to-do list that I can really get through on my things go to shit. But I don't want to be surrounded by the reminders of the fact that things yes, have gone to shit. Yes. Right? So I need to move somewhere. Yeah. I need to move somewhere. And so I, Denver is quite high on my list, yeah, list of places that I might yeah. just go on. It feels like somewhere surrounding Denver I could easily disappear and people wouldn't <laughs> people wouldn't know or notice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so you but you suddenly you're a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Well, I yeah, yes, but no. I mean so we, what, I had friends there. We we moved to LA fairly quickly. Um maybe too quickly. Uh, my husband will say definitely too quickly. He didn't like LA at all, but um um mutual uh, Doug Stanhope was out mm-hmm. there who's a good friend of ours and um it just any time you get to be in Doug's orbit, it's always a good thing when you're you're childless and in your 20s and 30s and you don't give a shit. <laughs> He's oh, bless his human car wreck. I love him. Um, so yeah, so we moved to LA and so, but I had friends there as well and, um, it was kind of a lateral shift, but I couldn't do Miss Itchy. I couldn't, um, and I could do stand up, but I was okay at it, but I didn't love it. I didn't, you know, that, that early drive of, I just want stage time. I'll, I'll go to the fucking village green out in in Sandown or wherever the hell we were playing to people that just have no concept of what you're doing there. But it was stage time. So you went or you'd go to fucking Braybrook and play in some crappy pub out there just because it's stage time. Um, I didn't have that for stand-up. I had it for Miss Itchy but not for stand-up. So um, it's such a brutal industry when you're – up and running that you've you've got to have that drive for it otherwise don't don't do it so then so what does life become then i wrote i wrote i'm a good writer so um and over there it's not what you know it's who you know so you know i wrote i wrote for i wrote a pilot for david tell i wrote a pilot for i wrote a movie script for sharon stone because somebody i knew knew her (laughs) You know, I mean, fucking insane things. Um, but, yeah, there was no joy in it. It was like the drive wasn't there. No drive. So no. Why, why did Denver become the next? Were that, was Denver next then? No, Denver was first because that's where Ben's from. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so yeah. I dragged him to so LA. So Denver, then LA. <laughs> okay. And then uh, back to Melbourne. So uh, when in that journey did kids come along? Uh, we we were still we we're in LA, so five years in. And did you always think that you would come back to Australia, or did you consider like kind of living over there? Uh, like as in like settling and no, like, yeah, raising the kids over there. I guess no, no, no. Walking them into school past a metal detector, no, didn't appeal. No, no thanks. No, I was it's fine though if the teacher's got to go. <laughs> I was 37 weeks pregnant or thereabouts and was going to this beautiful um, Beverly Hills gynae obstetrician who was 
divine. And I waddled in for my, you know, 37-week appointment or whatever it was and I said, I'm going home. I need you to lie and write me a letter so I can get on a plane. And he went, oh, <laughs> but no, I want to deliver this baby. And, and I said, no, I, I need to be at home. So I came home and had him but then went back when he was like six weeks old. And uh, so, yeah, look, staying there was, was with little kids. Little was fine but no, not when it sort of came time for school and no. And Australia's so, pretty nice. Okay. So you're back in Australia <laughs> and then you you've, you decide at some stage that Miss Itchy are going to do it again, like you said. You know. Yeah. So did, how did that decision come together? Um, it was Nellie Thomas. I was doing a character comedy night and called Linda. I just had Mo. He was only a couple of months old. And said, um, come and do Miss Itchy. And you don't say no to Nellie. She's adorable. And I said to Linda, do you know where the fucking wigs are? <laughs> and she said, oh, I reckon I'll just sniff around for off cream. I'll find them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how she found the outfits. Um, because they do. They smelled of off cream. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that, that's how we sort of started to get back into it. So what was that like? Because after, you know, like going away and doing all these other things. Yeah. And then, you know, to kind of step back into the, you know, like, I mean. Back at the trades hall. Really? But like, but back into the your outfits, back into the act, back into, you know, the relationship. Yeah. You know, like you've had a, you know, it's. You've you've had a really decent break, not only mm. from, you know, the the day to the day of the industry, but mm. from doing this thing that you mm. used to do. Yeah. Like, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's quite magical to think about from the outside. What did it feel like from the inside? It was we wrote it. We decided that we would do an activity play, um, so that Miss Candy Girl could you know, give birth to the baby cheezels. And um, <laughs> Gerda could be Jofus who never gets a root, her dumb husband. And, you know, it was so easy and so simple to get back into. And oh, actually, no, that was the second, second one. The first one I think we actually, when we started doing the song mashup things, and we did Thriller and I can't even remember the lyrics but I know that we wrote them on these giant um, art canvases and they were insane. Um, not quite Hitler's beef chair but it was up there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there was this little stalwart group of our old fans who just went, oh, my God, they've crawled out from some kind of rock I have to be there. And then this new bunch of kids who had no fucking clue what they were in for. And it was it was so you put that wig on and feel the the shimmy of that shit taffeta that wafts off cream <laughs> <laughs> up into your face. And it was so simple. It was just like like we'd done it two days before. Um, did you have any particular hopes or you know, 
thoughts about what what it might do or was it just as simple as we're just going to do this again for a little bit um before before that sort of came up i had been working with john clark um who was uh <laughs> such a champion of of us as performers and um i had always kept in touch with him we lived up the road from one another in fitzroy and you know, I quite often get a phone call, and you go, "Ah, oh, it's been a it's been a terrible wine incident up here." You know, you'll you'll need to assemble the troops and join me for corkage, and, and all this ridiculous stuff. Or, but he called me out of the blue one day. It's a great I, example, by the way, of the fact that you were like, you know, ten, fifteen years before your time. Is like <laughs> you were appealing to like everybody in the world would love for John Clark to be in their corner. It's like the greatest compliment yeah, you can yeah. get in comedy. Totally, like yeah. the smartest man in every room that he would have yeah, ever walked into. Yeah. Like, you know, a guy who ran his own race in a way that, you yeah. know, no one, you know, since, you know, has even gone near to. Yeah. Like just an absolute dead set genius and that he yeah. was like, such an advocate for you oh, is a great tried, example yeah. of the fact that you were 15 years before your time. <laughs> you were operating on a fucking John Clark level. <laughs> you need to dumb that shit down a little. <laughs> if the only audience for what you're doing is the smartest, funniest man in the room. I mean, good. Don't get me wrong. Bravo. Hats off to you. You've entertained the smartest, funniest man in the room. But you may need to dumb it down for the plebs. <laughs> So oh, Stephen Fry's here. He's enjoying it as well. Uh, it's good. You got two. They're both comps, though. So sorry about that. No payers. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. No, look, I, and that 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 sort of to underline just the the force that he was in in my life. He when I first came back, um, I was pregnant. So pre- pregnant. We were back for a little bit and then leaving again. It was one of those transition times. So I must have been pregnant with Mo. And he's, he called me one day and he said, so what are you working on? And I said, oh, we were laughing about talking about two actors that we, we wanted to write into a thing because they weren't in enough things. I can't even remember who they were. But it was like John had this boy crush, which was so funny just hearing it come out of his mouth. And I was watching somebody else that I wanted to put in. And he said, oh, we should write it. And I said, oh, yeah, but I'm not doing comedy. Comedy can get fucked. And he said, he just let that sit for a minute. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I've been thinking about, and I told him the premise for this little drama series that I uh, had been kicking around. And he said, all right, I'll I'll, um, expect a script spec by the end of next week. And so hung up and I thought, oh, fuck, now I've got to write it. So I did. I wrote it and it was really dark and very funny but um, it was at heart a drama and I plotted out, you know, the series and this is where the story arc was going to go and blah, blah, blah and of course I'd written him into it and he was playing comic relief and he would have been beautiful Uh, and he shopped that around with me like an absolute maniac trying to get it done Um, but (laughs) I was too funny, too weird funny or and the feedback I got from back on this was it's too dark. Can you lighten it up a bit? It's it's a bit too extreme. Can you rein it back a bit? We love it. We love the characters, but we, we don't know what to do with it. We're scared. 
which was nuts. I mean, again, like when you look at the appetite for that sort of stuff now that, you know, yes. I mean, internationally, yes. you know, that, that I mean, you're talking about the period of time where, you know, those shows with the sort of the darkness attached to them, whether they be your Breaking Bads and these sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Became, like you're literally talking about, you know, again, just slightly ahead of your time, just I would smidge, say. Yeah. yeah. Idiot timing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> All right, so uh, we, I want to talk about the the real estate thing as well. Can we have yeah. another? Can we have another pause while I go to the can. bathroom? Absolutely. Well, it's a lot of history to talk about there, Will. In part three, I, mean, I still have two bars on my battery. What? So, <laughs> so it's either recorded or it hasn't. I think it has recorded. Press record this time. Good. Uh, all right. So. Which brings us, I mean, there are so, to be honest, I could talk to you for hours about all those times, but um, before we move on, we were going to move on, but now I've decided to (laughs) jump back in. Who, who, what do you just remember about, go grab your drink, you go grab your drink. It's an awkward amount away from you. There we go. We've we've barely started part three. We're warming up (laughs) in part three. (laughs) Um, so, uh, what are your memories of like just that time? Because the, I, I'm thinking of that time of the cheese shop and that time of, you know, just Melbourne seeming such a incredibly vibrant, exciting place, you know, to be doing comedy, you know, the last days of last laugh and, you know, that, that venue was still going and, uh, you know, there was, there was a real excitement, you know, with, with Fleety and Morgan and, um, oh, yeah, Judith and Sue Ann and yeah. Gibbo and um, you know what are you, who what are your memories of that time of people you were watching and people you were seeing and people you were excited by and yeah Anthony Morgan was um, so amazing to watch him perform and I remember <laughs> if he if he was on at the cheese shop that was right in the middle of when he was doing. The film pieces with Denton. Yeah. So he just couldn't have been bigger at, at that time. And um, he was so out of control. So you'd see him on stage and that, that audience would hang on his every last breath. And sometimes it just didn't pay off. I've said this before on the podcast and I hope that it's never taken in the wrong way. It's a... Turn of phrase that I am proud of, which isn't entirely accurate. I will say it first and then I will contextualise it because I say (laughs) it often on this podcast. But to describe Anthony Morgan, and you've touched on it at that time, I I often say to people that eight of the ten best gigs I've ever seen in my life are Anthony Morgan gigs and ten of the ten worst gigs I've ever seen in my life are Anthony Anthony Morgan gigs. Yeah, yeah. And that's not true. Of course, like Anthony Morgan at his worst was still so much better than most yep. people at yep. their best. Like yeah. the the reason I say it is that that was the nature of what he was doing at the time. Absolutely. Was, he was just swinging for the fences in a way that I'd never seen. He mm. was willing to take risks. And so when yeah. I say 10 of the 10 worse, what I mean is that he never, when it was going badly, decided I'm going to stop. No, never bailed. Never. Is, or I'm going to jump onto something <laughs> yes. else. No. Like, well, this is what it is. Yeah, I'm going to drive this, this gonna bastard be, into the ground. Yeah. yeah. We, what is happening is happening <laughs> and I am not going to try to change that from happening. If anything else, I'm going to lean into it happening more and more. <laughs> and 
It is one of the great disappointments in my life. I don't know this to be true. I just have picked up over the years that Anthony isn't, I'm not Anthony's favourite person or what did he, anyway, I, I, I get oh, the impression I, that, yeah, he's not, he's whatever, a, for whatever yeah, reason. I, I, I don't, I don't think he I, I don't would think feel there's that any way. particular reason, but it's like, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm representative of something that, you know, he has a big issue with and yeah. all those sort of things. And yeah. I acknowledge and understand and care not to explore why it would be and think it's entirely up to him. But I... He's a gentle old soul But now. I could not be who I am without Anthony Morgan. Absolutely. He is one of the most influential yep. people that has ever yep. stepped on a stage, in my opinion. And I agree. at my best, I still know that, like... Yeah, you know, at his best, Anthony Morgan was fucking miles ahead of whatever yeah. it is that I'm trying to do. And uh, he was ahead know, of himself. Yeah, ahead of himself again. Another yeah. one of those people who probably, yes, absolutely, was mm. ahead of himself. Mm. And uh, genius, just an abs- a genuine. You can actually use that word in, in yeah, its most I genuine agree. sense. Yeah. He was a comedic genius. Yeah. And uh, just a glorious thing to watch. Glorious. Just watch the glorious is such a good word. And glorious. and watching it from the back of the room, watching the traje- trajectory of it, whether it was going to take off in hit or whether it was going to smolder and burn, and he was just going to stand over its corpse and keep digging. That was so fucking brave. I remember <sighs> seeing him at the cheese shop one night do this bit, and I can't remember again. You can never remember the lines or the whatever. No, it's no, just, yeah. I just remember. It essentially was him describing performing oral sex on a woman, mm. which in itself could just be such a terrible choice as a thing to do on stage. <laughs> and I still remember it just being like, it blew my mind. It was just so, at once so, like, it's like when you, you hear for the first time that Paul Kelly, the singer, is a real root rat. Like, <laughs> the, and you go, oh, yeah, I get that. I get that now. Like, your songs are all sexy and yeah, shit. Of course and you you're are. like an old. You love those old school sort of poets who all have like heaps of lovers and stuff. Of course you are. And it had that sort of poetry to it, yeah, Anthony. Like where you were like, this is sexual and it's like, yeah. but at the same time you're, you know, you're. It's really funny. You're really funny yeah. and you're in the middle of this. Anyway. It, Do you remember this. John Harriman? Oh, yeah. So I didn't not didn't see John as much as I oh, would have. But, you've just described John. Yeah. As well. That he was a absolutely. Without him, Missichi would never have had the guts to be born. He made us. <laughs> this is my me too moment. <laughs> no, I take that back. He he made us do the most uncomfortable, hilarious, dangerous gigs because he said it would be funny. <laughs> um, he made us go to a, uh, uh, oh, shit, what's the word? Um like a demonstration against this rural politician, but it was just us. It was just him, me and John. And he was so fucking out of control. <laughs> he he said to us one day, it was the precursor to Missichi, we're going to do a triple act. And because he had this big bushy beard. And he said, we'll be, I know, the three beards. <laughs> So he wore an orange bag on his head and his dumb little terry tailing shorts and his thongs because he went everywhere in fucking thongs in the middle of winter. It didn't matter. And we rocked up to this ridiculous, beautiful um, venue in a laneway in Melbourne. I don't even remember. I could take you there, but I can't remember. 
And it was, you know, really posh and really beautiful. And we went upstairs and John's in his fucking Terry tailing shorts and his thongs and this beard that's got pistachio shells in it. And he's talking at a million miles an hour because that's how he operated. And the bloke said, oh, I'm sorry, you, you know, not in, not like that. And John just looked at him and said, don't you know who we are? We're the three beards. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't performed before. <laughs> and the guy was so fucking bamboozled by, you know, this, of course you know who we are, that he escorted us in and helped us steal stuff on the way out. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, John was Christ. Yeah, if not for him, we wouldn't have done half the shit we did. He, <laughs> like like Sean Cullen would, uh, and um, Phil Nickel and the boys would set you up to do things on stage. John said to me, to Linda and I once, um, I want one of those big Cornettos, you know, the big Cornetto signs. So for months, Linda and I tried to steal one. And we, we finally, we got really close once. We were over his side of town. We were in Yarraville somewhere. And there's big Cornetto things. We worked out that if you unscrewed them from the base, they would eventually lift out. We couldn't steal it with the base because they're filled with sand or water and they're too heavy. So I'm in Linda's shit car. We're in our pyjamas because we were going for breakfast at John's place, which meant sitting in the front yard of his place at Yarraville among the dog shit, <laughs> eating croissants and it was just insane. So I'm in, in Linda's crappy, crappy little Mazda car gunning the five of the six cylinders that still worked while she was unscrewing this, this um, Cornetto sign, six foot tall Cornetto sign from the base to shove it in the car and we screamed out of the 7-Eleven and we were crying all the way to Yarraville. We were laughing so hard and that fucking Cornetto sign lived in his front yard for as long as I knew him. It was just screwed into the ground there. He's like, okay, you've done it now. Good good job. Uh it occurs to me, I sat and watched, um, when people hear this, it'll be a few weeks on from uh, this happening, but it, it's Tuesday today and on Sunday night, Tom Gleeson won the gold Logie and he essentially <sighs> gamed the entire system in such a beautifully, like, you know, as he said, you know, it was a joke. This was a joke and I like jokes. And <laughs> you were just reminded that, Sometimes that joy and energy of just going, no, just do it because it's funny. funny. Yeah. That just do it because it's funny. Yeah. Is such an important like part of being funny. Yes. Is yeah. to remember to do things that, and like you don't look at that as being that that's that version that Cornetto story. Yeah. To me is like Mr Miyagi making Daniel San paint the fence and wax the floor, right? <laughs> Like I'm not tell I'm not telling you this will help you win your karate competition, but eventually, <laughs> you think this is a pointless lesson right now. But eventually, you're going to win your karate competition. It's going to be called the Stella at the time, and part of the reason you won it is that you like this thing that you got taught by stealing this condo. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Don't forget to be funny. Where. There's, there's a danger of everybody, you know, politically correctly checking everything they're doing and and you, you've got to be mindful. I think that's the – there are no taboo topics. I don't care what anyone says. If you are mindful and you're coming at it 
from a place of of honesty and um, and love. You can say whatever the fuck you want. And the other thing is that it doesn't need to be without consequence, by the way. Correct, yes. Like, somebody has the right and <laughs> often does. Like we, we kind of have this debate as if it only happens when people have like controversial, edgy opinions. That like, you know, yes. so-and-so talked about this and then like 10 people <laughs> in the audience were like, well, I don't like that you talked about that. There's 10 people in the audience, in every audience, who don't like what people were talking about. Yeah. Like when I'm making fun of Jordan Peterson in my show, I guarantee <laughs> you there's 10 blokes in that audience who love Jordan Peterson who are offended by what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, like, And I can guarantee that because Jordan Peterson has empowered them to contact me <laughs> and <laughs> let me know. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm a snowflake cuck or whatever. Oh, uh, nice. So <laughs> the point being that, you know, we've become two things, I think, when, when you talk about that, which is I understand that comedy should evolve. It absolutely should. And if we're not having a discussion about yeah. topics that are appropriate or not appropriate, mm. like if comedy is to be of its time or saying something about the time in which it lives, mm. even if that thing isn't directly about the time. Yeah, yeah. Um then it needs to understand the times in which we live. And you mm. operate outside that vacuum, then of course you're going to get left behind. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. However, as you said, there's an approach to everything. I went and saw Burt Kreischer oh, the other night. I love Burt Kreischer. Oh, like one of the all-time great blokes. But his show, I would have disagreed. If you wrote down on paper oh, like yep. what he's saying yep. and his perspective yep. and like the topics and the language and yeah. like 90% of it, I'd be like, well, that is not appropriate. Yeah. But it was honestly one of the best shows, stand-up shows I've seen in a very long time. Two hours flew by. I did not yeah. once look at my watch. And he was doing something in that room that I'm sure there'd be some people in that room who had an issue with. Yeah. But I honestly sat there and was like, this is some of the most powerful comedy I've ever seen in my life because he not only breaks taboos, but he flips taboos. Yeah. Like he's a bit, I watched it and the one thing I kept thinking was it reminded me of South Park. In yeah, that yeah. South Park clip everyone who's who deserves to get a clip. Yeah. You never know quite what's so, you know, oh, this is the this is the topic they're exploring. I'm not quite sure from any moment which side of this topic they're, they're on. I've got no <laughs> I feel like oh, they feel like they're on my side. Oh no, they're not on my side again. <laughs> you know, and it was certainly that as well. And it was talking to an audience of people who, like, it was done with such joy and such intelligence exactly. and such. You know, he is so warm that the way that it was presented, like in another person's hands, I would have hated that show. Yeah, but in the way that he had presented it, and the obvious level of intelligence and construction mm. and you know, the fact that he was clearly trying to provoke you. And I just found it yeah. incredible. And I've not been to a show. He performs for people that don't know yeah, without right. a shirt on. Yeah, yeah. So he c- comes out like a wrestler, <laughs> rips off his shirt <laughs> and starts doing a show at Hamer fucking Hall, you know, the art centre in Melbourne, Hamer Hall. This beautiful venue, you know. And then I've never been in an audience that has a more spontaneous, like, standing ovation. Wow. Like, firstly... Everyone went up to the point where you were just like, obviously the people who aren't standing have had some sort of serious leg injury. <laughs> like, and and they were oh, right. That's it so was awesome. But he's so great. he's Powerful. the sort of person though that he did this really funny thing on uh, on stage because he talked about being on the project, talking about um, 
With a period, period party. party, right? And how suddenly you had all these people online going, "Hey, Bert's an ally. Don't come down on Bert. You know, he's late, blah blah." And he was like, oh, I don't. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> "Not normally someone that people call an ally." You know, it's like it's weird to be on that side of it. And you're like, but it's so true because he'd be the sort of person that if somebody says you can't say this anymore, you can't say this anymore, and you just had a blanket ban to things that you can and can't say, yeah, then he's uh, there'd be a lot of his show that you could not say. Whereas yeah. I would argue every day for that what he said was powerful and transformative and provocative and oh look he I think he would know. double down and just keep doing it too yeah. yeah but such a joyful performer you can't you can't not be swept up in that I mean but skilled as well like that was the yeah the, the structure and intelligence yeah, yeah. on the routines was yeah so we keep wandering off the topic don't we yeah we do so. <laughs> Uh, no, I wanted to talk about comedy a little bit more. I'd like, yeah. to, I'd like to get your thoughts on comedy. Um, all right. Let's talk about now, though. Let's talk okay. about real estate because, mm. uh, is, like, I don't know. Is, it, is that an interesting transition from comedy to real estate? <laughs> you you said to me earlier, and I, I'm not sure that I knew this previously, that there'd, be, there'd been real estate in the life always. Always, yeah. So um, – the. I was saying before the the joy and the drive I had for doing Miss Itchy and those early days of, you know, that, that stand-up scene and wanting it, just having to do it, having to be in it. I feel that way about real estate too. I'm absolutely obsessed. I, um, I retain stats that are useless for everyday life. But I remember properties. I have a an innate recall. Do you know where that, that fascination came from originally? Um, probably from mum and dad. Just going, you know, I was of the generation, or you know, we're at the same age. Um, of you know, you you save and you buy a house. You save and you buy a house. That's what you do. You save and you buy a house. So that that had always been a, a gentle drumming in the back of the head. So that, yeah, that look at that absolutely seeped in. And actually when I started doing stand-up, I was doing my agent's rep as well. Um, and then the, the stand-up sort of, well, actually it was pre-stand-up. It was when my brother was on the big gig with the Dugs. That's how I found out about comedy really was um, that little transition, dropping him off at the ABC to film in the big gig and going, oh, what's all this shit then? <laughs> oh, I want to be in there. I want some of this. I mean, again, I can't imagine what the Melbourne comedy scene would look like without the influence of something like the big gig. Oh, un- unbelievably so. Yeah, there would not be the the groundswell and the... Or just if that had been a different show. Yeah. You know, if that had been a straight stand-up show or yeah. a, you know it felt to me like there were I mean things became a bit straight stand-up more after that it fe- yes. felt yeah whereas like when you look at the big gig itself you're like it's it's a there was such v- a representation stuff. it was such a representation of what what could be and what was obviously out there you know um yeah Christ Ted was so brilliant at putting that together and how joyful and yeah the, that I, I 
look, dad used to wake us up and say, get up, get up, you know, the goons are on. Or, and we're like, I don't give a shit about the goons. I called my kid Spike after Spike Milligan. And of course I love the goons. But, you know, back when you were a kid, it's like, I don't care. Get up, get up, get up. Um, Monty Python are on TV. Come watch. So that that comedy, weird comedy had been in my life from tiny, tiny, tiny. So that's, you know, it's his fault, <laughs> clearly. But also the the um, the real estate thing was, was also them just going, you know, you knuckle down and, and save and you buy a house. That, that's how, that's a freedom. I think that's a representation of setting yourself up and, and um, being free. So I have always deeply obsessed and, you know, have made some really good and lucky choices. Um, but the thing was I became the person that, um, you know, if somebody was looking for a house and couldn't find it, oh, ask Faye. And I have a, still have a 100% strike rate and I'll find it. So after the comedy thing fell apart, after the, the sort of second round of Miss Itchy when we realised, oh, if we're going to do this shit, we need to do it full time. I don't want to do it full time. Linda's like, I can't. I'm too old. I'm, I'm too, you know i got other shit to do. I want to paint. I've got my art. Um, I had kids then. It was different for me. I couldn't go on tour. I couldn't leave them for And that's months. what it would have taken to. Yeah, absolutely. Like it would have taken, you know, yeah. a real concerted effort. Absolutely. And that ship had sailed. The bottom line is that that ship had sailed. So um, my, my darling husband, Ben, said really sweetly, for fuck's sake, please go and get your real estate license and do the thing you love. You loved comedy. You talk about this more. So just go and do it. And that was revelatory. I was like, oh, of course. But of course, absolutely, yes, that's what I'll do. So that's what I did. So how, how does that start out? How do you, like, I mean, I don't know much about what happens you know, how you qualify, like I know how to start out in comedy. <laughs> Is there some real estate open mics or something? <laughs> you hang out at Joe's Garage with Adam Adam Richard and Will Anderson <laughs> all day and all night. No. Um, and I, you, you got to, I went to the, actually I called um, Jody J. Hill, mm. who's another comedian. Yes. Who was um, famously partnered with um, Joe Stanley and she did radio and, Worked at the ABC. She was worked with recovery and she hosted a cooking show and blah, blah, blah. I knew that she had gone into real estate too. So I called her and said, I need to pick your brain. So we met up in Northcote. She just said to me, go to the REIV, finish your agency rep and work, work. Just go and work in an agency. So that's that's what I did. And um, I went down. I knew my first job interview, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to be a buyer's agent, which is what I am now. Um, but I said, I, I, I know that I've got to do all the other stuff. First, I've got to get my full license and, and know what I'm talking about, not just what I think I know I'm talking about. And, um, and why a buyer's agent? What is a buyer's agent? Buyer's agent is um, the agent that works for the buyer. It's, it's a fairly new-ish concept in Australia. It's, it's part of the course in the US um, You where, you know, if you're selling a house, you call an agent, you hire the agent, they sell your house, you pay a commission. 
um, a buyer's agent does the same sort of thing. You hire a buyer's agent, they take a very small like an engagement fee and then you are, agree on a price range that you're looking in and you lock down a, a like a commission rate within that structure. Some agents work differently, that's how I do it. I'll put a cap on it, say, here's what it'll cost you for me to buy your house. And um, I go and do all the negotiations, I do the inspections, I, I hold your hand from beginning until and till the end. Because this is such a huge decision in people's lives. It's massive, but it's one that you it it's hard to get experience at. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, yeah. If it works out okay, <laughs> you just do it. You do it, and then once, you know, maybe twice. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you don't really have much capacity to sort of know what you're doing. And it is so, mm. I mean, I think that every aspect of life needs one of these, by the way. Yeah. I, like, I mean, moving to another country, yeah. I think if you, like if somebody wants to set up a business whereby their business is being like a moving to another country agent, mm. like, you know, it's like you can hire me for the first month or whatever you're in the country and yep. we'll make sure you get all your papers, you signed up to all yep. your things. This is how things work. This is how yeah. blah, blah, blah. Because working out all that stuff on your own, particularly just even going to a country like America where you think it's pretty similar. No. It's not like, at no. all. No. <laughs> and no one really knows how anything works and will tell no. you. The yeah. idea that you could just like pay someone to be part of that is anyway, every aspect <laughs> of life should have like work. I would love if at the office – like because what happens on your first day of work is you go in and you meet like eighty people, yeah, and like you forget like seventy five of them, yeah, and then for the rest of the time that you work in that workplace, you have to politely say hello, mate, to somebody <laughs> that you don't know who they are or what they do. Yeah, if yeah. there was someone whose job it was for the first two weeks to answer any of your questions, you go, "Who's the guy near the front? <laughs> who's the guy who's always cooking bacon? What's his name? <laughs> What's bacon guy's name?" What does he do? Explain to me what Bacon Guy's job is. Oh my god, I've always been that person. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, I've, I, yeah. So that's, that's what really it funny. is. Like, I mean, yes. Like, it's a have, it's a house concierge. We have we have uh, wandered around my house today, and I've gone <laughs> and I've said, "This is what's not working. What do I do about that?" Because often you you don't even know where to start. You're like, what no. do I? I don't even often know which person to call for stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, that's got wires and uh, and, and water like, pipes. <laughs> Who do I call? Do I call a plumber or an electrician? <laughs> is there like a plumber electrician? Yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I'm concentrating on coming up with dick jokes. I can't know everything. <laughs> yeah, I'll take care of the air conditioning. You continue on with the dick and balls. We've all got important things to do. <laughs> Got to get them a podcast. <laughs> so you know, I I, I think I, I always knew that I wanted to be a buyer's agent yeah. because that's the, that's where all the joy is. You know, I I'm not. Um, that's the bit of it you, you like the the yeah. finding the place, the helping somebody work out how to get a place, yeah. helping them get that place, just making it as seamless as possible and. So what aspect of that, like, I mean, I can almost hear it in saying the things out loud anyway. I mean, it makes sense. And from knowing you and from you being just like these qualities are, the qualities that you've described, is it cold there, by the way? There's a blanket behind you. Yeah, no, I'm good, I did notice it's cold. Thanks. We can spoon. Yeah. I mean, we're already spooning. I should have pointed that out. But do you want a blanket? I I want the blanket. It's going to go over you a bit. Um, So... uh, I mean, you you have always been a, an advocate 
yeah, for people, you know, yeah, like that's yeah. your yeah, that is yeah. very much in the nature of your personality. So finding mm. a job where that is the key ingredients and qualities of it yeah, doesn't right. surprise me. Yeah, right. But what is what is that in you that I guess what I, I want to get to the emotion of what's behind that. Like what is it about you or what is it about that 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 helping others or being an advocate for others yeah provides joy for you and it's something that you're good yeah. at. Yeah. Look, I think it's twofold. I've just realized how much I am like my little one. <laughs> Cuz it's about pleasing people. Mm. You know I was saying before how I wasn't really sure how I you know what his sort of makeup is. That's what it is. He's he's definitely a people pleaser and I, I think I mean comics are they're narcissists first. <laughs> Um, funny second and they're at heart people pleasers um, because if you're on stage commanding a room, you, the bottom line is you want to please everybody that's in there by making them happy and making them laugh and blah, blah, blah. So I think the, the twofold thing is I, I do genuinely want to make people happy and I'm a control freak. <laughs> so if I can control the journey, the journey. Ugh, I just said the word journey. No, no, no. This is <laughs> the whole podcast was about your journey. If I, if I can control that that whole process, like you know we did here, um, being able to um, just make it as easy. Well, let's make it personal. I made it as easy as I could for you, um, and and I was also incredibly protective of you. But I'm like that with all of my clients. Um, I do get very protective of them and I want to make sure that the thing, everything is right. So uh, as quickly as I can make it seamless and the most amount of money that I can save you is, they're my, they're my two goals. How do I make this easy and how do I make this financially um, accountable? Um. You're an absolute boss at it. I will say that. I was not. I was not here when uh, when you bought this house on my behalf. Um, you were in my ear. I was in your ear. I was yeah. on the phone. It was genuinely. It was like. I mean, look. I've never been one of those people who's had to talk down a plane or something. You know? But that's. When you're just listening in on a phone to an auction, it is. Uh, um, but. <laughs> Uh, you are very calm and uh, in charge of what's going on in that situation, which I'm sure is what a lot of people need in that situation because, again, we're not used to that environment. Exactly. Look, it, it, there's a whole shorthand with agents. Agents speak to each other like comics speak to each other, like nurses speak to each other. There's there's a there's definitely a shorthand in and a, and a way to sort of turn the bullshit off. Um, whereas, whereas comedy you turn the bullshit up. <laughs> it might, might be the only industry where it's, how are you? No, I'm great, yeah. I'm great. No, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's time for you to turn the bullshit up, mate. <laughs> turn it off, it's not going to profit anybody. Turn that bullshit up. So, yeah, look, employing a buyer's agent is a really nice way to cut through the shit and to, um, you know, it's all that, that time-consuming of looking for a house it's it's absolutely overwhelming and you'll look at 50 100 houses is not unusual for people um you know i get a checklist i find out what you want and then i give you a short list and go you know here's the best of what's out there and here's some stuff that you might not have 
even considered, but I think that knowing you, this might be a good fit. So let's have a look at those too. And so how do you find that out about people? Like what's your approach to like, you know, getting a sense of what it is that, you know, somebody wants more than what they say they want? Because yeah. often, you know, when we say what we want, we're just parroting the sort of things that we've heard we should say what we want as opposed to actually what we really want. Yeah. Look, I think um, being a performer, um, that never goes away, <laughs> you know. Once a show off, always a show off. Um uh, People have an idea of what an agent is and what a real estate agent is and how they speak. And they're the enemy when you're looking for a house, the agency enemy. It's like, you're just going to fucking screw me over and take all my money. Um, so by the time I engage a client in, you know, as a buyer's advocate, we have a very different relationship and they know just five minutes after meeting me that, the experience they're going to have is going to be very different to anything that they have anticipated or, or um, you know, have seen before. So um, just making it very personal and I, and I get very personal and, and you know, just ask questions and, and listen and observe. And, you know, that's where, you know, being a comic, again, that, that shit doesn't go away. You you do read people and you do listen to the subtext of what they're saying. And so I can generally find out a huge amount of information in a really short amount of time. So, yeah, it's a good shortcut. You're right there, darling. I'm going to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> <laughs> While Will's gone, I just want to say. <laughs> do you want me to do gargling noises? Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to get that bladder looked at, honey? It shouldn't sound like gurgling when you wee. You know what the worst thing is? Because it's been a three-bathroom break now. Three, <laughs> it's been a lot anyway. Um, uh, sometimes there's a period of time in the day. So because of the nature of my work and whatever, I have a sort of coffee regimen very early in the morning <laughs> that I try to balance out with water. So often by the time we're recording, which is just after lunchtime, um, this is my period of time in the day where all the damage that's been done early, liquid-wise, <laughs> decides it needs to expel itself out of my body. So I, I've, there's been a, the occasional podcast that um, like doctors have got in charge, like in touch and gone, oh, you shouldn't be peeing that much. Like, you've got a problem. They're like, how do you sleep? And I'm like, oh, no, I sleep through the day. Like, I was just like, literally, there's like two hours of the day where I need to be reasonably close to a bathroom. <laughs> I don't anyway. think we're 25 anymore, Will. No. I mean, how is that for you? Like, I mean, starting a new career, you know, mm. is one thing. But you, you're starting it at a point in your life where... I like, should be established. I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm boldly aware of that. And now that um, Jody and I have... So this is Jody J. Jody Hill, J. Who Hill. previously mentioned. Yes, yeah. They're, they're my comedian friend and... And life friend, I just adore her. 
we've both got sons. Our kids are really, really close in age. She's a fierce warrior woman. I love her. Um, and she's a magnificent real estate agent. Excellent auctioneer, can you imagine? She's a bloody comedian. Of course she's a brilliant auctioneer. Um, and she has that same – we have the same service um, want. It's like above and beyond. What can we do? What do, we, what do you need? What um, – you know, we just want to break down the bullshit of it. You know, and it's actually slogan of our business, breaking down the B and S of real estate, the buy and the sell. Um, so we've teamed up and actually opened a conjunctional office. I'm separate. My business is called Lush Real Estate Advocates um, as as a buyer's agents and Jody has got She Sells and together we have She Lords, which is a, a leasing company. So we're um, also renting houses out as well um but <laughs> and of course we decided to start this business at the very bottom of <laughs> the housing market just dragging its ass across the carpet well yeah i think they um <laughs> I, I, I joke about this occasionally on the radio but uh, i think uh, they identified when the market essentially started to to crash downwards and it was the week after we bought this place <laughs> So it couldn't have been more like just before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It, it wasn't. Look, the, yeah, this oh, well. this place. If was they like could have, ju- if they could have just, if they could have just put it on sale three weeks later. I reckon we would have picked it up for a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, three or, or six months before, you would have paid another yeah. half a million for it. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, but so, what made you want to go out? Well, the two of you work together on your own, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, 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 we do. We work together. We're um, open and transparent is our byline. Because as a buyer's advocate, I have to be 100% independent. That's just a legal requirement. Um, if I have a, like, for instance, we had a client just a little while ago. I had a buyer client that was looking for a particular thing and it turned out Jody actually had the thing. So I just took my hands off and pushed them over to Jode and said, she will give you the same service and love and I will take no commission because that's, I can't be more open and transparent than that. Um, And then when you do something like that, people are just blown away that you've been ethical and it it shouldn't be a surprise, but I know that it is. And look, real estate agents have a terrible reputation and there are some real dodgy sharks out there, but there's some really lovely ones too. But um, for us, creating our own business was to be able to give this completely unique, personalised service that you can't do when you're in a constrained in under a you know a, a bigger network where I oh, know we don't do that here. It's like, well, I do. I want I want to retain these clients for life. They're they're going to come back to me. You know, all of my business is word of mouth. All of it. So um, people have to have a good experience for me to get more work. So that's why we decided to, ah, to hell with it. We can do it. How hard can it be? I mean, how hard is it? Oh my is God. it really hard? Oh, my God. 
because I feel like... We can share a sandwich again for lunch, can't we? I feel like everything's really hard for a start. Like, I think most things are really hard, you know. I The hairdresser that I go to um, has recently, he was part of a... He was like the young star hairdresser of a much bigger sort of... Yeah. Yeah, groovy hairdresser place and he eventually has gone out on his yeah, own. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think half of it's really great and glamorous. Yeah. And if I catch him occasionally on a day when... But it's he's the done the books. It's like... You can, it's fair to say I could play, it'd be fair to, easy to play poker against him. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel like I've ridden the highs and the lows of setting up a new business. Well, Joe, we had, we had to do, uh, by law, we have to do a compliance audit once a year and that's where you pay someone to come in and tell you how badly you've uh-huh. fucked up. <laughs> And the thing with real estate is if you fucked up, there's huge fines that are leveled against you personally as a person, as an agent. Right. So, you know, it's you have to be ethical and you have to be clear and you've got to keep clear records. So um, <laughs> that sort of – that part of it we've always known about, but this is our first time actually having to do it. So I was talking to Jode on the way in here this morning. Um, <laughs> we're just closing a, a listing in the city. So we're a little bit of business. And then she said, all right, no, that's fine. I'll go and complete our audit paperwork. And no, you go have fun with Will. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just remind him, I got him Cocoa Pops that one time. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. but <laughs> <laughs> She's all right. But yeah, look, starting a business, um, like you said, when we should be established, um, had we, you know, had better, better um, uh, impulse control, we, we we would have started this, you know, back in the day, um, you know, and we'd have a large multinational on our hands by now, and we'd be doing very well. But look, but there's also got to be some advantage to, and I've even said this about comedy. I don't think there's ever too late to start comedy. No, I agree. Um, you know, your life experience can be your yeah virtue. You're yeah. fast forward, you know. Yeah. The fact that you're an adult and, you know, I look at somebody like Luke Heggie and see how quickly he's sort of, you know, getting it right. Mm. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he works, he's had a life working real jobs and yeah. he's got a family and like, you know, yeah. those sort of things are just, he has an experience that he brings to the table that isn't just, he's not just the kid mucking around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing his job. And um, I, I can imagine with real estate that there's probably – something to be said about the fact that you are both uh, people who've like established lives and had other lives. Yeah, yeah. Those skills are quite relevant. Some of them yeah. at least those skills are quite relevant. Totally, yeah. And that you are not of trained of the system as much though. Yeah. Because you two might be very different people. Mm. If it's like it's the fact that you haven't been in real estate for the last twenty years in some ways right. that makes your approach <laughs> interesting and fresh. Yeah, and that you, true. Uh, that you do say, well, we do it like this because yep. we haven't had 15 years of people telling us that's... That we can't. Yeah, yeah, that you can't. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I went through Harcourts. Jody worked at uh, McGrath and Barry Plant. And so, you know, we've, we've come from big box agencies, um, which are fine if that's what you want to do, but it's so not what we wanted to do. You You just don't get to um just immerse and make it your own you know i <laughs> second day of um doing uh, no first day of doing the the reiv course to get my agents rep back back whenever 
um, was property management. And I remember putting my hand up about half an hour in and went, I am never doing this shit. This is awful. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest of the room were like, oh, my God, we've only been here 30 minutes. (laughs) But I thought, this is a poor, I'm never doing this. There's way too much legislation to remember. This is just fraught with I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. Never doing it. So then we opened this agency and I said, well, we need it. We need a, we need a property management arm. That's the actual value of the company is, is our rent roll. So, oh, fuck, we're going to have to do property management. <laughs> I am having so much fun. I can't even tell you. And I've met the most amazing people. We've got quite a few properties now, which is awesome. Um, one of these, one of the last ones that we're just finishing up now. It's just been awesome just to meet people that, and and I know because I'm looking for a client now. I'm moving him out of his house um, into a rental property while we renovate because I do project management as well under that lush banner. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I'm dealing with other leasing agents trying to make appointments to see apartments and. And I get why the service isn't there because property managers get paid bugger all. Um, but there's got to be some level of service. So the minute you provide the skerrick of service, people are beside themselves with gratitude. So that side of it's been really nice. It makes it really easy to sort of push forward. I mean, I think there's some great joy in like hearing you talk about it and like (laughs) but it's also good to bring that to an industry like you said that doesn't always have the best like you know most of the people I've ever dealt with have been lovely like yeah yeah. I mean it's not I I don't have a bad experience I'm drawing on but the industry itself can have that reputation of people at least going into it very wary about they just want my money all the different ways they can get ripped off yeah yeah and really there's very few (laughs) there's There's really very few ways you could be ripped off. And uh, it staggers me that, that when we're talking about real estate, I mean, it's a massive purchase. It's the, the most amount of money that any one human will transact in their life, generally speaking. And when, I'm talking about on the selling side of it. When they want to penny pinch the agent on commission and I just, it's like going to a discount doctor. I oh, know I'll, I'll just have the, the no-name surgery. I'll be fine. It's like, stop it. There's a time to put your hand in your pocket, you know. <laughs> and the other thing that people don't understand about real estate too, um, which is just nice to throw out there, most of the time the agents are on commission. Um, and so that means if they work on your house, you know, so they put it up for sale, it, it's on the market for say 45 days is about average at the moment. used to be quicker, but it's not anymore. Um, And then it say it settles another three months after that. That agent doesn't get paid until way down here. So that's like four months of work. So you had good experience from doing comedy festivals and not getting paid (laughs) for months. So you're you're a little used to that one. So used to it. (laughs) What? I don't have to pay you? (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, they're going to McDonald's. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, comedy festivals like you've got to rent the house for a month yourself yeah. while you sell it. Yes, and, and if you don't you sell, sell it, it yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then ticket tech will take half yeah. <laughs> when you do sell one. <laughs> so yeah, the the transition has been fucking seamless. <laughs> um, all right, we should um, uh, start to finish up because you've got houses to sell, and I do. I've got, I've I got, got houses to buy. I've got dogs to walk. Sorry, yes, you've got houses to. Sorry, you're right, houses to buy, and I've got dogs to walk. We've both got things to do. <laughs> Shit to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Uh, so um i asked some standard questions on this podcast and i need to ask you these questions also yes my love uh what do you think happens when we die i think the baby jesus doesn't exist um like you go to sleep yeah That's nothing it. else no i want there to be more yeah but there's there's not not even uh I don't know, <laughs> electrons or something, butterflies, <laughs> something, oogity boogity. Some sciencey shit. Um, no, I no, no. I've you know been a, a medical person as well in the intervening years, and you know it's it's a biological thing. You you stop that body stops eventually, and it's miraculous that it keeps going every day if you think about it for two and a half seconds. Um, you just thoroughly miraculous that you know those cells even align and, and form a, a human being it's insane um so no you that heart stops that brain stops no no what do you tell your kids you're gonna die <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be quicker if you don't clean your room um it's funny because <laughs> Because <laughs> we're, we, we're at a very fancy restaurant in LA. Um, oh, no, it doesn't matter where we were. Anyway, with um, Spike, the older one. who And we'd been having, you know, just general discussions. And the waitress came around with a tray of, I don't even remember what it was. And she said, you know, would you like? So I said, no, thanks. And But she asked Spike as well. And he just looked at her with his little cherubic face and he said, no, thank you. We're atheist. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped the conversation that was happening over here and I went, excuse me? <laughs> what has he been listening to and what have I said to somebody? But it was just, no, thank you. We're, we're atheist. <laughs> I thought, oh, you divine little creature. And she was completely confused and just sort of wandered off back right. to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, 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 I know, I'd obviously spoken to him yeah. about, you know, religion and stuff. And But um, fast forward a couple of years and he's at kinder. <laughs> and it was a gorgeous little progressive inner city um, kinder and it was fabulous and I loved it. But it was inside a, um, a church hall. Attached to a church. So at the end of the year, they had a nativity and the um, the kinder teacher had said, now look, we're not at all religious here and everything's, you know, fine and by the by, but this is part of the kind of the lease arrangement. The the um, pastor likes to, you know, tell the nativity and da-da-da. And I went, yep, yeah, whatever, I'm fine, I don't give a shit. So <laughs> he's got the big fuzzy felt board and he's going through all the things and he's telling the story about you know, um, Mary and Joseph and there was a star in the east and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and he whacks this fuzzy felt thing up on the board and he says, and what could they see in the sky? It's the archangel. 
And my little cherub with his blonde curly hair stands up and goes, it's a bat. (laughs) (laughs) And I snickered and I thought, yeah, it does look like a bat. (laughs) And the priest made the the, uh, mistake of going, no, no, it's an angel. And Spike went, no, no, it's a bat. (laughs) And he doubled down and said, no, it's an angel, to which the chorus of children went, no, 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 it's a bat. Well, it is a bat. It's clearly a bat. What are you talking about? It's an angel. It's a bat. But, yeah, when, uh, when he started primary school, there was a thing to, you had to opt out. Of religious education. Now it's you have to opt in. So, and I sort of toyed with it and I thought, I actually want him to know the stories because that that gives you something to draw on. You know, that's life experience, knowing the stories. Knowing, um, yeah, just knowing stories is a good thing. Whether or not you... Take them as gospel is another thing. I, I've always believed, like you know, in the in the in that I've not put any further deep thought into the ramifications of this, but I've always thought that it would be handy at school. What I'll put it this way: yeah, what I would have loved if instead of my you know all that time that was wasted on religious education in yeah. my you know education, yeah, that if I had done a course called What People Believe. Yep. And that every week we would go and we would learn. And it could be a whole bunch of it could be about Christianity. Yep. But they would cover off all the other stuff as well. Exactly. Because those stories are important. Yeah. And there is value in knowing them. Yeah. And there's value in knowing, like, if a system is based on a Judean Christian you know, belief, then it's it, it's it's good to know what other people believe. Yeah. But I just would love that had been balanced by what a Muslims believe and what a I atheist believe. I completely agree. You know, yeah. what, how, what do all these different people believe? And why are they not doing that in, and then you in can choose today's? One. If you want to choose one exactly. at the end. If you want to go, I need a spiritual belief and I like Buddhism the best. Or yeah. I might, I might be a yeah, I like Hindu the Jews. Right. Yeah, and like that was more complicated entrance procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Depends if your parents have pre prearranged things. For exactly, you. yeah, yeah. That's definitely one you need some pre thought. It's not impossible. You can get there. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I I made sure to um, I didn't opt him out. I thought I don't want him sitting in the corridor, mm-hmm. you know. And but I made a point of really discussing with him before and after. So in the morning it was like, oh, I think you've got re today. So look, you know, they're really good stories, and it'll be interesting and. Some people think that they're, you know, really true and and base their whole lives around them and I'm not so much for that and blah, blah, blah. But the stories are great, you know, and really hammered that home. It's like there will be no indoctrination. This is, here's the facts, here's the facts, here's the facts. And their father is a science dude. So, you know, anytime it's anything, you know, metaphysical or physics or anything, it's like, Go talk to dad because he knows all the answers. So they've had a nice balance of it. But, um, yeah, know the stories but know that they're stories. Oh, I like that. That's very good. I like that a lot. That was a <laughs> nice one. Good. Uh, well done. What do I win? Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an award, surely. Come on. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Based on that, based on the idea that you don't think anything happens when uh, we die, mm. how does that affect the way that you live? Or does it? Um, well, I've lost 32 kilos. Um, 
I don't know that it does. Having kids makes you live differently, makes you a little less hedonistic, a little more, um, a little more planning goes into choices, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that. Mm. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Having kids has made a, a bigger impact on on how I live and what choices I make. I'm still incredibly selfish. I know that about myself. Um, I try not when to. When you be. say selfish, what does that mean? Um, I. What do I want? before anything else what do I want out of this and I I don't know where that comes from um I had massive surgery when I was 11 and had right from my sort of earliest memory had known that that was coming my entire childhood whether that had had a little sort of skew on it um I was never special I was never coddled I was never um you know, babied around it. Mum and dad were always really, well, this is what it is. Suck it up, sunshine, kind of deal. My mum was um, an orthopedic um, pediatric nurse. So for her, it was like, <laughs> it just all of her worst nightmares come true. Um, that thing that she'd, you know, nursed around was now happening to her kid. Um, I, I think if I sort of poked around in there a fair bit, I'd probably go, maybe that's why I'm selfish. I, I hate to lose. I'm incredibly competitive. So I think that also ekes in there a bit. It's also what makes me a good agent because no one else is going to beat me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I know that I'm selfish and I try not to be. My husband wears the, the bulk of it. Um bless him uh and and that's unfair on him yeah uh what what is your greatest strength that i'm incredibly selfish (laughs) 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 Uh, my greatest strength i don't give a fuck about what other people think uh it it's funny because it probably negates the answer to the next question, but I <laughs> often like to ask people, do you think that anyone has a misconception about you? Oh, yeah, I know for a fact that people have misconceptions about me. Um, oh, there's a myriad of answers there. One that I won't say here, but we've talked about in the past. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I truly don't really give a shit what other people think. Um, and I and by, you know, what other people think I'm talking about, people that don't matter to me, right, yeah, people the, that aren't yeah. in my inner circle, the people that, I mean, the people that I care about. Like if you thought I was an asshole, they would kill me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have invited you on the podcast. I would I have made my way in here anyway. You know that. I love this house. 
<laughs> yeah, but I could I could not be recording. <laughs> and we've and we've managed to make it two hours in, still oh, on those two Jesus. still on those two battery uh <laughs> two hours if I leave in the toilet break. Just the one that we recorded, not the other two. I can probably take out the kids start at the beginning then. <laughs> no it all stays in. No edits. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's, I, uh, yeah, misconceptions about, I don't know. I don't know. Um, how do you, how, how would you like people to, I guess the way that I normally put this is, you know, uh, when people talk about you behind your back, what would you like to think they're saying? <laughs> She's so thin in real life and much taller. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if they're talking behind my back, I would like them to be going, she's, yeah, she was really funny. Um, or, or are we talking about bad stuff? No, no, no. The point is what you hope they would be saying. What, what do I hope they're I don't, saying? I don't care what they are saying. Oh, and okay. By the way, that's a, str- like, what I want to play is, in what would you, what would it make you feel good? That's my legacy. Yeah, or it doesn't have to be because it always feels when I ask these questions like, when you die, how would you like to be remembered? But I, I don't even want it to be like that. I just like, yeah. what would it make you smile to think that somebody was saying behind your back? Um, yeah, that that yeah, funny, funny's currency, mm. funny's currency in our house too, and it always has been, which I think is why my kids are so quirky, and. Um, yeah, funny. Funny is currency. If you can make somebody laugh and um, and the stuff that I was doing was not part of the pack, that I was a little bit out of the box, a little bit hanging over the edge there. Um, hero is a word that gets bandied around. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> Great. Taller and thinner. Taller Immortal. Taller and thinner is amazing. <laughs> Smelled vaguely of walnuts, <laughs> as Tim Harris might say. <laughs> one of Melbourne is one of Australia's best writers, by the way, Tim Harris. Oh, yes. I'm talking about people that were ahead of their time and missed the boat. God, fuck! There should be a statue somewhere for that man. Yeah, I, well, and he and he would look very good as a statue. Oh. Very statuesque, you know, in real life. Amazing. In fact, would not surprise me if I later found out he was an actual statue that had come to life through some (laughs) bit of mystic skullduggery. (laughs) (laughs) He just sort of walked off his place where he'd been observing life. Exactly. He's some fancy statue in the middle of some, like, you know, near a fountain somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And for 30 years he'd been observing (laughs) life and then he one night got struck by lightning or something and uh, came to life and just wandered. Well, that, he, he and Tim Ferguson um, knew each other right at the beginning. Oh, is that right? And started together. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, Tim's, Tim's roots go way back to those Canberra days. And uh, okay. Amazing. The, the final question track. is the, yes, time, the time machine question. So, oh, okay. Uh, you, uh, you, get yeah. a t- you get a time machine, uh, right? Yeah. Now, you've, you've got some choices. You <laughs> yeah. can go back to a time in your life. Yeah. You can go back to any time in history. You can go yep. back to a time in your life and have it over. Mm-hmm. Or you can go back to a time in your life and just be an observer of something that happened in your life. So mm-hmm. they're your three choices. You go back to some point in history and just experience it. Mm-hmm. Or, so you Bill and Ted's it. Or you, <laughs> or you go. Only if a, I can be Keanu. Or you go, or the baby Hitler. You know, you can go and kill baby Hitler yeah, or whatever. I think you should about baby Hitler. <clears throat> and so, or you can go back to a moment in your life, change it. You know, have a mm. do over. Or 
you can uh, go back to a moment in your life and observe it. Yeah, I would go back and not marry that shit bag that I married the first time. Yeah. And you just go, I, everything else will still work out okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that I, don't, ingredient, I don't need to. You're mind not one of those ones. Is like I don't need to go through that terrible shit. No, fuck to that get shit. to this place I had that plenty I. Plenty of other shit yeah. to worry. Mind. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> there was plenty of other grit to make this. Uh, yeah, this uh, pearl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can go back to the spinal surgery and the yeah. childhood and the yeah. No, yeah. No. I've got some pain to draw on. Yeah, I don't need plenty. some extra. I don't need that. We're good here, mate. Fucking Thank asshole. You. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't need any of that shit. Mm. So have the yeah. Just get rid of that. Yep. All right, good. I, I like that. I think you might be the first person who's actually been honest enough to. There's been a lot of, you know, well, I wouldn't I would have got have to here if it wasn't for. Fuck that shit. Yeah. I would have been a better version of me. Yeah, no. Nothing in that. No, nothing. Nothing good is in I love there. It. No. I love that answer. It is honest and truthful and it is brilliant. Um, this has been such a great pleasure. Tell people. Um, if, about their business, if you, if someone's looking to buy a house, yes, if you're good, looking, good target market for free podcasts, yeah, <laughs> guys. If you're, well, you're saving your money, so no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and look, I mean, becoming increasingly, obviously, emble, emble, emblematic, emblematic. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Uh, emblematic of the changing nature of our society is, mm. you know, as you mentioned, we grew up in an era where. The Great Australian Dream, they used to call it, you know, yeah. own your own house. Yeah, quarter and it was, acre block and a picket fence. Yep, and if you get a house and you pay off your house, your life will be okay. That was yeah. basically the kind of... Absolutely. That was the inbuilt thing that said, if you can get a house yeah. and pay off your house, you'll have enough money to get through life. Yeah. It was kind of the inbuilt part of that deal. Absolutely. Now we live in a world where a lot of people who are listening to this podcast may never feel like they will ever have the opportunity yeah, to buy totally. their own house. And society may even change in a way that means that that is much less valued because it is much less achievable or attainable. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in the meantime, <laughs> if you want to buy a house. Well, I've got you. <laughs> well, you don't know any better. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah um, my business is Lush Real Estate Advocates. Um, my uh, our, our Jody and my website is Lush RE Group, Real Estate Group. Um, she is a she sells, vic.com. Um, if you're looking for a selling agent, she's just the best. If you're out of area and you're looking for a vendor advocate, that's also what I do. So I um, will work with you to choose an agent and make sure that the campaign goes smoothly and you get the most money. And if you're looking to buy, I'm a buyer's agent who will go in and get you what you want for the least amount of money that um, we can possibly spend. So, And look, you know, buyer advocacy is is not just what rich radio guys <laughs> uh, do. It's It can be really affordable and I will work with any budget to, um, you know, make somebody's dream come true. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I will say that um, uh, uh, I've, I've used that system twice now in my life and... I mean, yes, I'm. Uh, I, I was either rich radio guy you were talking yeah. about, because uh, <laughs> the way that I'm stumbling around this question, you would wonder how any of that life is certainly not fair. If old Mumbly Joe in the corner over there who can't fucking formulate a sentence is, is a rich radio guy, um, but <laughs> but we were talking about this before. You know, is I'm yeah. just. 
completely hopeless and without knowing where to start on this. And well, most people don't. Most people are. Yeah. And that's the point. If you mm. can get for the biggest decision, the most money yeah. you're ever going to outlay on your life, yeah. don't leave that to being... Yeah. Like, if you are, have a capacity and you understand how it works and mm. you have an interest in that, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, go but for if it. you're like a dumbo like me, who's like, <laughs> this is one of the probably once or twice in my life I'm ever going to do this. Yeah. Like, it is the one time where it's like, hey, it's probably worth, <laughs> probably Get worth employing in. a professional that knows what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know. It seems sensible that in this system where everything else is arranged against me, yeah. it's good to have someone on my side who I can trust. Yeah, that's that's the big thing is yeah. just knowing that you've got someone in your corner that's – I look, I tell my clients I buy like I'm buying for myself. Mm. And, I mean, you know that. I still live here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we did wander through the house and do an inspection. I've done a couple of, you know, celebrity, a couple of celebrities. See, I'm no longer a comedian, but now I sell to comedians yeah. who uh, I buy for comedians that, that um, had more tenacity than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but less life skills. Yeah, way less. It's the perfect arrangement, Oh, I know. To it's be honest. genius. Yeah. <laughs> What's a good target market? Idiots with Idiot. heaps of money and no life skills. <laughs> Actually... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I bought for Joel Creasy, which is, is common knowledge as well. But um, we we went to do an inspection and he said, is it going to fuck it up if I come too? And I went, yeah, look, probably. Just send Jack. <laughs> He's his very, very beautiful yes. boyfriend. And I, I called him back and I said, I'm clearly kidding. Of course, come. But just wear a hat and keep yeah. your head down and shut up. And, um, yeah, so he came along and, and I'd managed to keep the agent away from him, I said, no, no, I'll, I'll bring them up in the lobby. Everything's fine. And right, because they were running late, uh, the agent came down in the lift. <laughs> Joel and Jack arrived and he's wearing the hat and he's doing the, yeah. all the right things. But then we get in a lift that's smaller than the toilet. And so all four of us are standing there awkwardly, like nose to nose. <laughs> and finally the bloke goes, I know you, you're famous. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, would have been terrible for Joel because, like, there's nothing he likes hearing more than I know you, you're famous. <laughs> but this was the one time where... It... <laughs> the joyful part of it was at that time he had, like, three TV shows on the yeah. run. So he was on 7, 9 and 10. Yes. And the like, and the, Joel goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, probably. And he goes, oh, you're... And the, the agent's going, I know you, you're a, you're a comedian. And I looked at him and I went, you're a what? <laughs> And Jack and I are standing arm in arm and uh, Joel's got a beautiful joke in his stand-up where his boyfriend is incredibly beautiful and um, somebody had said to Jack in front of Joel, oh, you're going out with him, ew, which is hilarious. So anyway, we're standing in this lift and I said, you're a what? And um, the agent goes, yeah, 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 you're a comedian. And um, he goes, oh, I've seen you on that telly show. And Joel's like, oh, Christ, get me out of the lift. <laughs> And um, the bloke goes, yeah, and Joel rattled off a couple of the shows that he was on. And he goes, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not <laughs> no, no, you don't do that. No, no. And he, no, no, I've got it. <laughs> and he says, uh, you're in the jungle. Get me out of here. The celebrity, get uh. me out of here. And I looked at him and I looked at Jack and I went, ew. <laughs> 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 Sorry, guys. Don't, oh, that's a story man. I've told now. I do love a bit of. Um, <laughs> I do love a bit of uh, 
when somebody who's not really across comedy, it, it feels like I'm a celebrity, um, <laughs> gets to that audience who yes. aren't comedy people, yeah. but like they, they quite like the comedians who go in the jungle. Yeah, of course. So Everybody I was does. in a cab, an Uber with this lovely woman and she was absolutely delightful. Told me her life story. It was a wonderful story. I won't share yeah. her personal things, but... <laughs> She goes, oh, but you know who I loved in the jungle was that uh, comedian. Uh, and uh, she, she was trying to, um, it was Nazim Hussein, yep. right? And you could tell genuinely that she thought he was amazing. Yep. But she's also struggling to remember what his name was. <laughs> and she knows, like she's self-aware enough to know that you can't just have a punt. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, but it's not quite coming to her. Yeah. She's made a real big deal about how much she likes him. him but, and you then know. she eventually says to me, she goes, you know him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That is all the ingredients I need. Yeah. Even she was like, yeah, nizzism. <laughs> like, oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, anyway, we, we've got to finish because yes, I've got to go do. to the toilet. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.